Hey, let's do it. Okay. We're here <laughs> with SF Derek. <laughs> that's, that's the, I mean, you got nice. Seal Trevor, so you got to have SF Derek. I, you know, yeah. it works out. Yeah. <laughs> we got to have one of you guys in here. Um, see, I don't, man, where the fuck do we start? I mean, um, I remember the first time I talked to Mark, I was like, let me just tell you like how I know the place where mm-hmm. it kind of came to. You know, I'm, I'm sure like, you know, most of the listeners, like you guys have like world-class athletes and gold medalists that want to come in and throw people around, you know, like, but there's also like average people, right? Like me and mostly uh, average people. Yeah. <laughs> right. in, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you know, so it was, um, it's, it's kind of interesting. So I grew up in Utah. So even though I grew up like sport climbing and side country skiing, a little bit of backcountry, it was actually, I was a, side yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. off a of snow basin yeah. into Hell's Canyon on yeah. a high Abbey day where they're like, what are you doing? And yeah. I had no idea what I was it's doing. It's side country. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If okay. you, if, if you, if you, yeah, check out of the ski area. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so like country, we would skin a little, a little bit, bit but like it's still at that point in my life, I was still more, so now I'm pretty much straight back country, but uh, okay. So you would think that's how I like got to know a little bit of what you two gentlemen do is, and everything else. But it was, I was a young Lieutenant at Fort Benning after Jim Jones got the contract for Ranger Battalion. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm getting ready, you know, I'm doing the, you know, infantry officer base course. I'm going to range school, all that fun stuff. And like, I'm seeing what 375 is doing. And I'm like, what is that? 300 comes out, go and watch that in theaters. And now I'm like, wait a minute, these two, it's the same. So I, every open source literature I can get a hold of, what are these workouts? And this is kind of where it yeah. goes to. So now I'm a young infantry officer. I'm like, wait, because I've always like ran and I've always lifted weights, but I've never really put the two yeah. are you saying that you crossfitted before crossfit no because I, <laughs> I did what mark did and oh. what you trained and because i'm like a famous crossfit insulter at heart like sure. i have to right um, uh, you have to yeah so like i started like grabbing a tire and grabbing a 16 pound mm. sledge and everything else and again kind of where i came from so that kind of got me fit and i felt like wow this is good so then like and i went to a an officer basic course with all west point there was only like three rotc like those lowly yeah. officers that enjoyed college and not hated it and i won like <laughs> the competition at the end of the thing and they're like wait an rotc got beat us how is this possible it was kind of everything that i did because i was getting because they did like the sketco drag you know like yeah. they made it like a suck event you know because yeah. the head guy had came from ranger battalion so he was like let me grab a jim jones workout and we'll do that for our competition so that kind of helped <laughs> sorry so or, or you're welcome <laughs> no it was money which. yeah it was Both, money i guess <laughs> so then and that's like the superficial what happened then is so then i get through ranger school and i meet my battalion downrange in baghdad so i'm like fresh out of ranger school brand new butter bar these guys have already been doing work in Baghdad, right? And this is like during the surge, like Dora Market. Like this is a sporty place we can call it within Baghdad. So I have to show up to this outstation with like, you know, it's basically like an old Shia house that was abandoned. We put up T-walls around it. And like that was our home, like two platoons and like the company headquarters. I'm like, how do I get in like like again these guys have been operating my platoon sergeant like my first and month you're in, the new guy and you're you're fr- full outsider yeah. yeah so i'll throw a, a bone at like my first platoon sergeant right so the lead nco the the soldier that's been there it was his 60th month in combat my first month in combat whoa gets better this is so he tells me about his first story so he gets to fort campbell they're like hey you need to deploy right away takes the rotator into bagram gets to bagram he's got his duffel bag in his rucksack and like a you know a shitty m16 at that point not even an m4 
<clears throat> they say your platoon's over there on the airfield by the Chinook. So he goes running over there. They grab his A-bag, toss it, get his ruck, do this stuff, right? Give him a saw. Like, can you shoot a saw? I was like, yeah, I can shoot a saw. They give it to him. He gets on the CH-47. Oh, a note card comes around and says, get off the bird, go right. And that's Operation Anaconda. Oh. <laughs> yeah. as a P- pb2 i think what it was like pfc like holy so like so again here we go Get off the bird go right yeah go right and he's in operation anaconda like he was but, like the qrf that went in there yeah. right to do that stuff so that was pretty that's what i'm <laughs> walking so i'm like okay so that was his first day yeah. and so again, that's your first day yeah so i'm in bag and i was like okay and i was like you know what like everybody's saying like you can't you know work out as much because you're out you know patrolling 12 hours a day and you can't work out you know it's tough and i'm just like well that's weird why don't i do my workouts because we were working the night owl shifts we'd come on at like six at night and go till little in the morning which was so much fun Mm -hmm. um so at like noon i'd wake (laughs) up and do like this tire workout in the middle of the baghdad heat in front of all my dudes so they could see me just out there and I just, whatever you were prescribing at the time, whatever workout I could find, it was like, you know, drag it, flip it, smash it, drag it, flip it, run. Jump through. in the center of it, jump out. Yeah. yeah so the other thing around, is it did acclimate it. me though. That, that was actually like a lesson in like mm. whenever I've gone to Afghanistan or Africa later down the road, like work out in the middle of the day Train. as soon as you get there because yeah. your body will get used to the heat, even in yeah. body armor. Mm-hmm. And it's everyone that says you can't do it that never will be able to do it because they've never. Yeah. yeah. So that was I like. Mean, heat acclimatization is an actual thing. It is. Totally. Yeah. Even in that. I mean, back that it was like, especially we'd go near the Tigers, it'd be like 120 in humid oh. in kit. Like, yeah. And like, yeah, the AC and like our VIX at the time, like wasn't that good. And then I, we try to dismount as much as possible because, you know, those sweet Iranians, like they were shipping over the best of the best for EFPs and. <laughs> So we had to dismount a lot, but that was kind of like where, you know, the Jim Jones thing and like where, you know, I kind of like, well, this is cool. So, you know, and then I tried to keep up with it as best I could. And I started to pick the little lessons of the workout is not just for the fitness, it's for the mental piece. And so I start training that way. And, you know, again, I've I've been in the mountains a little bit and then it's like, okay, I want to, you know, go walk around the woods of Fort Bragg. And so those events, the mental toughness that through kind of the workouts, like, yeah, build that big cardio base, but like also have these really, you know high intensity things like that helped me like get picked up. Like I felt like, yeah. Do do you remember? Um, and I only ask you because I don't remember. I don't remember when I noticed when I like started paying attention to the difference. Like I just noticed one day that there was a difference in training, like as opposed to, I remember the exact day of Fort Benning. Yeah. Cause it was when I went and found a tire and was like replicating. Cause I had, you know, I Mm -hmm. want, yeah, like 300, like there's some SNL skits about it and everyone like, but it was motivating because it was like oh, yeah. you found out there was no CGI like mm-hmm. they and then you start like I can't remember who posted like the first articles of like what you were doing with the whole cast and everything. But I was like, wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't. No, it was like it's that 300. Whoever, guy. Yeah. yeah. But it was also like yeah. and it was another like not only do your workouts need to have a mental thing like it should actually be about the mental thing. But then I never really worried about body composition because I was always a runner. So like I was just always a skinny little dude like, yeah the infantry like that was fine because if you ran fast in the infantry you were great like that's just how it was it just was, <laughs> yeah gold yeah. star it was good there job. good job you're there but what i did what i tried to teach my soldiers is like the composition would come worry about yeah. what should you be as a warfighter if you're that fit to where you can get out of your truck you can run with the 240 you can get on mm-hmm. that op whatever you need to do do that and your composition will take care of itself so i never worried about fad diets i never worried about i just 
ate good, you know, moderate, like in everything, not too crazy any which way. And then I just worked my ass off and then guess what? Like, wow, it's weird. I'm not fat. It's crazy. <laughs> so crazy. It's kind of yeah, weird how that works. Yeah. But so many people like the soldiers that I've trained with, cause they see me and like, okay, you're a fit dude. Like, like let's work out together. Like, Oh, how many calories are you eating? I'm like, I don't know until I'm not hungry anymore. Like some days, <laughs> some days it's a lot. And I was racing triathlons at the time. Cause again, in the infantry, yeah. like skinny little dude that could run, I was fine. And I was doing weird workouts on the side for fun. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's something interesting because not many people will arrive to that place where they notice that there's a difference in what's going on. Like the, the psychological attachment to some, or, or when I'm training, I start noticing what my mind is doing. That becomes more important than the work that I'm putting out. Um, I don't remember when it switched for me. So I, people usually do though. I just remember, I don't know, there was just something. And so when you passed over it, I was like, I have to stop you. Yeah. Because you remember the day that it happened. Yeah, and I remember the workout because I was doing it with a buddy of mine. Um, he got out just a little while ago, but he and I were basically in between ranger school and a shooting course because, you know, it was Fort Benning and that's what mm. you do. Everyone was going to Airborne and he and I had already done that. So we went to this course and he and I were working out on this field and I remember just like, wow, like this is really painful, but I'm still going because mm. I'm not letting it, I'm not stopping. I'm not letting it stop, if that makes any sense. Oh, Even, it totally does. Yeah. I, and I, I was training, I was following, you know, a lot of Mark's stuff before and doing it like from the outside. And this is really funny because fuck you SF guys. I had a friend of mine that was like, oh, <laughs> who yep. he's the one who got me. There's an 18 Delta guy, really good friend. Um, we met, I, he, I saw that he had a Jim Jones shirt on and I was like, Hey, have you trained there? And he's like, yeah, I trained with Mark. He got me ready for dive selection. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck that means, but do you want to train together? Because yeah. I, I had an idea and he put me through the first and it was just, let's just say he wanted to like welcome me welcome. warmly yes. to, to this <laughs> thing. And it started with like a 500 meter row for time. <laughs> I'd never been on a rowing erg before. Oh, geez. And so I emptied my lungs on that and it took me 11 minutes to see straight again. So I did a 123.5 on my very first Fuck. one. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't move. I was literally like catatonic for like 11 minutes. So and was it the workout where you do the 500 meter for time and the more seconds you are under the standard, the, the, the more sort of bonus seconds oh. you have taken off the end of the workout that follows the row. I think that one came later. Okay. Uh, and I appreciated it, but this is different. Okay. Um, this, he was just fucking with me. And so we started with that as a warm up, And then I was still like, I, it went into this one to 10. This is fucking terrible. It was a one to 10 ladder, each leg, 135 pounds, step up, burpee, pull up ladder. Beautiful. And then it ended with like, I think, um, it ended with three minute intervals on the rower. And it was just like, I was sick for three weeks after that. Like I literally had like a lung infection, but I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking about it. Right. It was like, oh, I've been doing this wrong. I've been like following the workouts, but something was different about this. It was the pressure the like I went to an area that would just fucked me up. And I was like, how have I never seen this before? And I like I was doing Muay Thai, like I was fighting people and fucking like really bad scenario stuff where you're like, you know, you think you're going hard until you feel something like that. And you're like, hold on a second. There's like another level. Why is that level not available to me? And then you start to explore the other part of it, which is kind of interesting. So you were lucky 
you you found this you know the the connection physically psychologically mm-hmm. and then and then what happened so then it so i kind of carried through um it really did like doing those workouts in the middle of the day and then also like because everyone at the you know the, our little cop our little outstation was just doing like the gym workouts and they're like hey can i do these with you and then more and more dudes from my platoon started doing it to where like the core dudes that were the dismounts, the guys that were on the mm-hmm. ground with me, because we'd have, you know, the driver gunner kind of has to stay and we'd usually leave one dude to direct kind of the traffic, but the rest of us tried to dismount as much as possible. They started getting more aggressive, feeling better, you know, and, you know, at this point in Baghdad, like this um, status of forces agreement was still wide open, so we could do whatever we want, but it was closing. And so we basically had oh. the green light for like two months to just do whatever <laughs> we wanted. <laughs> Full disclosure, do I think that I probably created more than I got? Probably. But mm. it was still really fun. But because sure. like everyone was doing these workouts, now they're feeling better on patrol because <laughs> we are working out in the day. Yeah. Now they're not just going and working like chest buys, tries, rinse, repeat. They're doing these things. So now like when they're lifting a gate up and tossing it, they're mm-hmm. feeling great. You know, when they're like smashing through the door, like, you know, pucking up, grabbing a dude and everything like they were feeling. So like, I really like, you know, again, kind of fanboy, if you will, but like, I appreciated that I found what you guys are all about because I took it with me and I kind of applied it. And then I got a product. Not only like, did I feel like I showed, you know, again, butter bar lieutenant, it's really hard to get any credibility, but at least I was fit. Yeah. And I was willing to do it in the middle of the day. Then they started joining me like, okay, the new sir is not a complete piece and then like after a little while we might keep them around for we a might keep bit. around like yeah. and then like they started calling me lt and it was like i'd only known the lt from like vietnam time when they would say it as kind of a derogatory but then my yeah. you know the 60 at this point 66 month combat to, you know platoon sergeant was like no no lt is like a term of endearment every other officer sir but you're lt and so that's when i knew i was like i had found my spot in the platoon and then i could actually get stuff done i could be like hey we're getting back what are your goals like i talked to the dudes in my truck because he'd rotate guys through my truck you know my gunner, my driver. So that way, like I could get to know the platoon Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I had that. I mean, it's like anything, like until you have rapport or credibility, like you don't, you can't do anything, but then I could be like, you You won't even have a converse, like a conversation beyond the surface. Well, and especially like the officer enlisted side, you know, cause it sergeants down to PF nothing, you know, like the lowest Mm -hmm. private would be in my truck, but I could be like, Hey, so you want to go to school? Hey, there's a federal tuition waiver. There's all these things, but like my bona fide into these infantrymen was fitness and yeah. not just fitness. Like, Oh, I can lift weights. Cause yeah. Was I the strongest? No, you've, you guys have seen me like I'm teeny compared to like most like, sure. But it's, it's, it, it's, um, it's like, it's something else that's there. It's like, what are you willing to give? Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to give, then that's you totally. know, just as good as the weight. Mm-hmm. So that, so that deployment went well. Um, came back and where, like I said, the CrossFit and Soldier came from is mm. I came back and I was like, oh, CrossFit, yeah, this is kind of like the stuff that I've followed and kind of done. And then I went and did like a, like a 15 minute workout. And I was like, that's it. That's weird. <laughs> but then like a couple like CrossFit friends, obviously like they're the fittest dudes and sure, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be the fittest dude I can in the unit. And so then our, you know, battalion commander puts like a competition together and it's, oh, it's a, it's a suck event like anything else. And I crushed the CrossFitters that told me that was like. And, you know, that was the time where, like, the elite in fitness, whatever that blurb right. for CrossFit is. Yeah. And it's, like, it's, like, it's for, and how I always looked at it when I would say a CrossFit insulter on the military side is it's, like, if you have no idea what your requirements are, it's fantastic. If you don't have yeah. a lot of motivation work by yourself, it's perfect. But I am in the Army. Mm-hmm. I do need to ruck 12 miles, then climb a hill, then rush into mm-hmm. it, like, carry somebody, yeah. whatever. So, like, I need, and then, like, extreme alpinism and, like, you're, that's when I started to read some of your mountaineering stuff to where I was like, oh yeah, this is like vast cardiovascular base that you need. But you were already a <coughs> skier. 
background. Uh-huh. Okay. So you had, you had like familiarity yeah. in the woods. So then I did the selection thing, got picked up, went to the Q course, you know, that was fun, had a great time really. And then we talk about like, be the warrior that you, you know, whatever, cause that's kind of how you put it with your talk with Zach. Like, yeah. what would these 300 guys need to do? So then in the infantry as a Lieutenant there, I just had to run fast. That was it. But then I got to group. And now I'm like 150, 160 pounds on a like off season. If I'm not racing triathlons mm-hmm. and stuff, like I couldn't do the movements I needed to do at group because now it's a 12 man team. And Oh, by the way, I don't have an RTO. So now I'm carrying all my crap that I mm. normally wouldn't have to carry. Yeah. And then I'm, we're doing much more dynamic stuff. So now like I had to gain basically. So now I'm like, okay, let's go back to the chopping block. Let's figure out what I need to do. Nice. So now we get into some of the stuff that like Steve house had put out and a little bit of your stuff. And I tried to mesh the two together and it's like, okay, I need this big cardio base, but I also need to like do these functional movements that like step ups with weight yep. repeatedly and some of these other mm-hmm. things. So that's where, so then I get on a mountain team and I didn't even know this really existed in SF, but I was basically for two years, like between two deployments, we basically were paid to like ski and climb in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where mountain Mark comes in. So I'm riding my bike to and from <laughs> Germany, right? Or in Germany, the trails are awesome. It's fun to ride bikes yeah. there. You're not worried you're going to die. So I just get done like on this audiobook. It's um, the Bloodlands. It's basically like they looked at all the not the Holocaust killings, but all the state-sponsored killings, basically between uh, Poland and like mm. Eastern Germany. You know, Lithuanian there. And in case you're wondering, it's a super depressing book, and the numbers in the tune of eighteen <laughs> to twenty million. Aside from yeah. spoiler alert, is that yeah? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you're gonna love this next part. So then I'm talking to my team sergeant. You know, this is my new NCO that I work with on the SF side. And I was like, man, I just read this really depressing book. I need like a mountaineering book. Somebody's like, oh, let's get Kiss or Kill for you. Oh. <laughs> so I download Kiss or Kill. <laughs> After this, because like my brain is like, I am so depressed from reading this book, like because <laughs> and they then talk. you go into kiss or kill. yes, and like because at this point now I'm getting to Chamonix, I'm getting to. Do you know Erin can't read it? She can't. She'll start crying. Like she'll hear, she can hear Mark's voice when she reads it, and she can't read it, so she'll just stop. Like she, wow. that's how like intense it is for her. She won't. She'll read a chapter and then she's done. And you're like. It's so, so you to go from like Holocaust victims oh, to this. Was, yeah. Oh, it was so, so I was like, all right. But like, it, so this is where like, okay, so like my sport climbing in Northern Utah. There we go. Yeah. So or, like, or just turn, <clears throat> turn it sideways. There we go. So like my sport climbing, like in Northern Utah with my shirt off and not a helmet. Now I get to Europe Yeah. and I'm on these big trad routes and I'm like, you know, doing this stuff and kiss or kill really meant a lot to me because now I'm reading about the places you climb. And although I'm not at the same objectives by any means, I'm in the same month, you know, wherever, maybe yeah. the Mount Blanc motif or massif wherever. So that gave us a lot of motivation and then kind of down the road, some more working out happens, you know, and that was really my end for every unit I went to was like, yeah, I like to work out really hard. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest, mm-hmm. but like, there's this weird, but I'm willing, but I like, yeah, I like to do it all. <laughs> and you know, I could ruck run because I like to run and I like to suffer because of the workouts. Like, the short workouts did help the endurance because then it was mm-hmm. more mentally tough when like yeah. it hurts. So then this is again, we'll get, we'll keep going. <laughs> this is just a fun story that I enjoy. Maybe you'll like it too. <laughs> so then like there goes the neighborhood, right? Yeah. So me and my team starting for that mountain team, like he'd been trying to do the ought route for years and just either okay. weather or partner something went down. He's like, we're doing it. And then like we're reading in the guidebook. And instead of going, like, if you go from Chamonix, France to Zermatt, Switzerland, yeah. it's long, or pardon me, it's very steep climbs and then easy grade skiing. Yeah. Do it in reverse. The skiing's better, but it's harder. Yes. So he and I, like, both been through Avi 2, you know, Avi 2 Pro courses. Like, we were pretty confident. So 
this is where the there goes the neighborhood. So now we're two Americans without guides doing the art route in reverse. Yeah. And I'm taking my like 191 katanas that are 112 underfoot <laughs> because if I'm skiing this, <laughs> I am skiing it. So you can imagine we show up to oh, the, yeah. the huts at night and you have Swiss guides, you know, French guides pretty much everywhere. And they're like, you're doing what? And they look at my skis. I'd be drawing my skins because they're riding like 90 yeah. underfoot, like maybe 160 <laughs> if you're lucky because they're just going yeah. for And their boots are nothing. They're like plastic yeah. where I've got like legit boots because I'm skiing like <laughs> we might go up something just to ski it again even though the art route you're supposed to just like you know yeah. it's the Swiss way sure. it's efficient let's, let's get to the hut early tonight and like we would make it by like we'd come in at dark sometime and the hut master would be like oh we thought you were dead yeah because you had to let him know you were coming so now it's two Americans in reverse and like the amount of times <laughs> like us, yeah fat huge compared yeah. to theirs oh yeah and then they'd be down the traditional route where we'd be like well wait if we go up this ridge line we can ski this and then they'd all their clients would watch us just like sharp the gnar yeah. And that like, but what was going through my head, like we'd have like eight hour ascent days. Like we covered some ground on the yacht route, but what was going through my head was there goes the neighborhood. Cause it was like two Americans, like upsetting the system, even though it was like a fraction of what marked it. Like we're talking like a baby amount, but that was the mentality. And that's where like, I was like, man, like this guy kind of taught me how to work out. Now I'm using his like book as like motivation to like go crush this big route with my buddy. And like, we were successful. Like after it was my buddy's nice. third try, I luckily did it on my first. That's cool. But that was like still to this day, like the best six days we were, you know, skiing above 10,000 feet for six days straight, staying in those huts and like the food, the scenery. And like, then oh, your yeah. bag during the day, yeah, <clears throat> we're fast and light. Yeah. Because we like, it might be water in a chocolate bar, but we're going to get to the hut at night where we can rehydrate, get some food. It was a different skiing like than mm. I'd ever done. Yeah. I mean, when you, if you've got to carry overnight gear and all food and stove and everything, it's just different. Yeah. 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 Then I might've had yeah. to have taken the smaller skis and like gone like super light, but no, like I came to ski, bro. Like yeah. fast I skis. grew up in Utah. Like I'm like, <laughs> it, it was fun to like see the Swiss guides and the French guides be like you two. And then the, we met like two American guides and they were just like, you guys are like, this is amazing. Like, here's my number. Like I still talk to one to this day. Like we oh, still nice. swap beta when he comes to Utah. Cause he always comes for like the AMGA stuff. Okay. Um, so anyway, we'll keep moving, trekking down this cool. where Derek has been. <laughs> so I go from a mountain team to the CRIF, um, you know, Jack Carr talked about it, the crisis response mm-hmm. force. I was there for a little while before they disbanded it. Um, but that was cool. Cause then all I had to worry about, like, as a normal SF team, you got to worry about every the umbrella of what we do. So all the unconventional stuff with the mountain specialty. So like really we're kind of like a jack of all trades, but master of none. Cause it's like, what are we doing next? Okay. Train for it, do it reset. Okay. Now we're going to the mountains. Okay. Now we're going to do direct action stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going on deployment. Okay. Let's get ready for, let's do a workup. When I went to the CRIF, it was like sacred time. Like you were, so Monday was admin day, Friday was kind of recovery day, but like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like you were on the range for two days and then in the shoot house one day, then the next week on the range one day and the shoot house two days. And that was like months at a time where that was like rinse and repeat. So like you were really able to become a master and like all the other stuff they didn't make us worry about. Hmm. So we would just focus on that. So I was like, man, this is great. And then the working out there, like we finally got a program that kind of incorporated more of the mobility, the maintenance. And mm-hmm. now it's like don't do a straight bar deadlift because it has a 33% higher rate of tearing a bicep. Let's do these trap bars because mm. if we don't want you to blow out a upper, you know, a long head of the bicep while yeah. you're on upsell, like, you know, you might have to deploy. So mm-hmm. don't. So that was kind of cool to see how that kind of transitioned more to what it was nice to see. It's now I wasn't just making this stuff up on my own. I was like the teachings of Jim Jones were kind of proliferating through the multiverse. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of the dudes there remember the time from CAG and Ranger Battalion and places where you had gone and like mentored kind of what fitness should be. 
Because it's not like I've never needed, and you and I talked about this at the symposium, the first one I went to was, I've never needed somebody on the objective to deadlift 500 pounds. Yeah. But I've absolutely <laughs> needed somebody to run in full kit or tackle a dude or yeah. like get to the top of a mountain with a 240 to like lay some scunion. Like that's it. So like why are, and then the amount of injuries, like so those two active duty teams, the only injuries I remember were from the gym. Yeah. You know, like that was kind of it. And so. I mean, part of that whole thing was, um, the raw program or whatever we kind of helped contribute to it at uh, Ranger Battalion was like, well, we got to come up with a new stand. Like the the, the te- guys are getting ready for tests that they're supposed to take and then get and being hurt by this thing. I'm like, oh wait, you don't get to like their coach is not going to put you in the game because you because you fucked up because you were like the, because the standards were wrong. And it's like if oh if it's any of the one rep max stuff, you just have to take it out of there mm-hmm. because of a you know, let's just say there's, you know, physical immaturity of some of the kids coming in, but then also the psychological immaturity of, of like, no, I, I go until I break, mm-hmm. you know, cause then I'll, maybe I'll win or something. Like I didn't get, I'm just like, well, none of, none of these tests actually are related to any of the tasks that are being done. So let's make the deadlift test be 225 for max reps because hey a strength endurance grip would be more yeah yeah, or and and 225 ideally is not going to hurt any you know anybody here because the average saw you know it's 510 180 or whatever the you know that average turned out to be and then it was the same with the the bench it was just like you put 185 on and go for and and like someone there was a kid at second bat that i think on the uh I think it was the most that I'd seen on the 225 test. It was like 55 straight reps. And like, <laughs> that is not it's a 225. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Without, without setting the bar down. I, like, there's, dude, so there's like a, proud. that's sturdy. And guys were getting, and guys were not, you know, once that kind of got implemented, the, like the, 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 the time loss injury stuff just, it it's didn't go away bl- entirely, but <laughs> I just yeah. imagine my lower back just seizing thinking about <laughs> 30 reps and then to do 25 more and like then just, and, and then think like you remember when guys would get the palsy yeah not quite car lot guy look close yeah you know? yeah <laughs> I, that's kind of an interesting uh, just the the side cart note on like what you select for has been always i think interesting you have oh, to yeah you have to like okay we need a standard Right. And then that standard in itself, there's like the psychology behind the standard. If it's too high, obviously there's problems. If it's too low, there's obvious problems. And then in the median, you're just trying to mitigate the problems of a medium standard. And I think that's what we've always dealt with. But then just I think getting rid of the it. other thing with it is like, oh, you're going to you do a one rep max test. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's very. Yeah, you got to get you got to be you know, pretty wound up like you, you yeah, yeah breathe into it, yeah. hit the, hit the smelling salts or whatever. But, um, but there's no enduring psychological component. Like you yeah. don't have to have that conversation where, <laughs> um, you know, you know, the quit, don't quit conversation yeah. or any of that stuff or like how my, how many more can I do? What's safe for me to do here? And when you, you know, put two twenty five and start going, <laughs> you start talking to yourself pretty fucking quick. <laughs> there, there's definitely a quit. It is. It's different. It is. There is a quit. Don't quit on that one rep max thing. But it's oh for it's, sure. It's nothing compared to the one where you get to repeatedly make the decision yeah. to continue. Yeah. Yes. The death the, by carry comes to mind. By way, like that's where, like, oh my gosh. 
Yeah, yeah I'm buying my like, way into more pain. If I really hurry, I can do more pain. Like, oh, and that's what's so ingenious about those. Like they illuminate everything that you want to know about yourself, which is and, am I quitting or am I failing? And as a, you know, some, an observer with some experience, you can watch people engaging in those tests yeah. and learn everything you need to know about their character. I, th- like, yeah, yes. that guy strong as fuck, but I don't want him on my team. <laughs> I always thought, and we, we, we thought about this a couple of years ago when we were talking about like, what would be a, how would we create like a, a standard or some test to, you know, most we're looking for personality. Yeah. We're, we're looking for like a you know, litmus test t- towards character. And so you're like, the one rep max thing is interesting, but maybe I have a spin on it, which is um, you would have to know what you're capable of, right? On the day, max cold, no warm up. And your accuracy is what I care about, not the amount. So if you say, okay, cold, 405. I can deadlift 405 cold um, and you do it and it's too easy. You don't know yourself. You don't trust yourself. Or you're lowballing because you want to like. You that. struggle, <laughs> bust it up, and it's like everything that you've ever could, but you get it. I'm like, okay, that's a person that's right on the edge that might not also be a good person. Yeah. So, just as a personality test, like I've always liked. Just to fight, you have to, you just have to write your number down and then do that number and then your reaction to your own number, your own standard is what I want to see. Like you set the bar and obviously it's influenced by other people. And then if you're influenced by other people, I also want to know what kind of person that is. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it has to switch too. maybe you need to like deviate in and out to like flush out the people that will hurt themselves. And yeah, I don't know. Well, and I thought, so when I was at the, the CRIF, we had a SAR major there that every month he did like the SAR major challenge. And like, sometimes it was unknown distance, unknown time, unknown weight. He just like, you'd show up, <laughs> be like, okay, put 38 pounds into your ruck. Mm-hmm. Well, then what do I do with it? Then start going. When do I stop? You'll find out. Nice. And then other times it would be like a Murph where he'd grab <laughs> yeah. like a crowd. Like the great thing is like, you'd go into like that SAR major workout mm-hmm. and he's still in right now. He's at 10th main and at Carson, like he was an amazing SAR major, but like he would do like that challenge and so the goal was like how well not just do on that day but then the next month because he wanted to see the spectrum because yeah. like oh your endurance this month might go well for you but next month he's going to do a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> yeah oh that doesn't go on that was a lot of capacity work and then like so he was he was because huh. he wanted to test his company but he didn't want to like fall into the army you know bins and buckets he was right. like or or put it all on like oh here the one we're going to make a decision about you and whatever you're going to do based on this one yeah. test on one day mm-hmm. now let's look at the arc and then yeah. he'd always make a shoot right after perfect so sometimes you do like 12 oh. mile rec march then you'd shoot and sometimes you'd do like a friend and then shoot and sometimes you'd do like three rep maxes That's and really then go good. shoot because then he'd also show you like okay so you can do well if you get off the aircraft and run but if you got to do an offset yeah you can't shoot for shit so like but that's where he would bounce because he's like, if you've all been selected by, you know, yeah. big arm or big SF, if we will, like, yeah. you know, at that brag, he's like, but now in his company, you're narrowing it. You're like narrowing, mm-hmm. fine tuning. Yeah. Interesting. But that was like, and then of course, like, and you guys preach this and this is what great about him is like, I've had a lot of, you know, commanders, you know, senior NCOs that like, they'll tell you to do the competition. They'll never do it with you. He did every single one. Nice. Even if he was injured, he'd find a way to like, yeah, I'm not carrying weight today because I have a stress fracture in my whatever. It's like, well, you shouldn't be doing this arm major. He's like sir did you just tell me what to do I was like nope nope not it nope (laughs) (laughs) i certainly did not (laughs) but you know like that so that was cool so then you know trickling down more to get to kind of what we wanted to talk about so then um 
so I'm in Germany for four years. I'm basically gone either training or deployed for three, you know, so like a couple of trips, you know, got some unique opportunities like the Baltic, Balkans, Ukraine, Israel, like mm -hmm. some really amazing opportunities, some work there that I had just never been, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan previous, but hadn't done some of that stuff before. So that was really cool. New mission sets, really fun stuff. But um, I'm married um, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like we both grew up in Utah and it's like, okay, the pipeline for active duty officers is like basically like over the next 10 years, you're going to move five times. And if you don't hit these exact gates, we're going to bounce you from like the regiment. It's like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> or I can go back to Utah and like my old man was in the, you know, the national guard group that's mm -hmm. here in Utah. Um, so like that was something like I knew about. And then I was honestly super burned out. Like, ton of, like we're at four. How, how old are you at this point? Let's see. I got out in seventeen. What thirty-four? Okay. Yeah, thirty-four. And then my wife is pregnant too, so that kind of <laughs> being you know having the kid close to grandparents and whatnot. You know, yeah. we was oh, important yeah. to us. So I came back super burned out. I ended up working for a, a local company here in Utah for about a year and just doing the part-time guard thing, and that was a riot. Because then I could like work at my civilian job that had a lot to do with cycling and you know i grew yeah. up racing a little bit so and like all my friends from not all my friends but like great friends from high school like one's like the marketing dude the other dude's like the director of engineering so like they kind of helped me get in um, was this like at reynolds uh envy composites envy okay yeah so envy well so, so like same same uh yeah i mean we like tangents <laughs> zone you know yeah. this is your podcast so we'll go down a tangent yeah. so um i was getting out and i saw a job for like a logistics operational planning and i was like i I, I can, can do that. My yeah. Jam. yeah. So I send my <laughs> resume in, you know, through the multiverse of Indeed or whoever, you know, they posted it through. Yeah. And then the, I think it was the CFO, as I recall, he's now the CEO. The CFO is sitting with my, like, high school best friend, like, my boy, right? Like, call him at two in the morning, he'll be down. And he's, like, kind of, like, talking about the guy that they just got rid of or quite, I can't remember which it was. And, like, man, if only we should just talk, maybe we should hire this guy as a, Green Beret, over 300 combat patrols, whatever, like whatever I put on my resume to spice it up. I'm not mm -hmm. going to lie. I kind of pimp the tab just to show him like I came from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, wait a minute, what's his name? And the CFO is like, oh, it's Derek, Derek, what Derek, my last name. Right. He's like, oh my goodness. He's like, you absolutely need to hire him. Right. And so the HR lady gets back. I'm like, Hey, you know, when came out, well, I'm living in Germany right now. Um, I won't be in Utah for another two months or whatever. I was like, well, actually we're doing a you know, a thing in Germany for the Eurobike, the CEO and the CFO are going to be there. Would you mind meeting him in Southern Germany? I was like, Oh yeah. So I told my commander, he was cool with it. I drove down and met him. The CEO had went to Harvard with like a seal, a one sixtieth pilot, like a bunch. So she's, she saw special operations and she was just like lumped me in with them. Hmm. So thanks Trevor. Like your reputation helped me get a job. <laughs> yeah. You're you know, like so she'd shit. never known green berets, but we had the same, like yeah. the same lineage or whatever. And I still remember like the look on her face. She's like, so really what's been your focus while you've been in the army? And Skiing? I was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was still trying to church it up at this point, sure, but yeah. it was really like, I'd be like, honestly, I've been really fortunate the last 10 years. All I've had or 13 years, all I've had to worry about is being more lethal. And she kind of looked at me like, and then she kind of was like, so how does that apply to this? And luckily, like well, I there's a lot of, of planning and logistics, it turns yeah, yeah. out, into uh, maximizing <laughs> your lethality. <laughs> when I talked to a bunch of good friends that had gotten out, and not that there was like a tat, but I was basically like, what I think I can do for your company is like from the time that they make the sale, I think I can ensure that the sale, that the product is made and delivered on time. I was like, because I don't market, I don't yeah. sell stuff. But what I do is I get people to work together and I manage timelines mm -hmm. because like, you know, in the infantry, all I had to worry about was 39 Muldoons. I went to SF, and now it's like I've got ISR. I've got CAS of some form. I probably have a partner force. Like, that's really where SF, like, we're going to 
like where I really felt like there was a bigger kind of jump was like, now I have to coordinate everything. To a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm on the roof with the JTAC and we've got seven or eight things that he and I are tracking while I'm also like listening in on the assault net, trying to figure out where the dudes are to make sure they're not getting lit up by probably the partner force, but you know, like, or even like the snipers or whoever, <laughs> you know? So like, that's really where I'm at. So like, I kind of sold that as like why I should be good, you know? And, and then I kind of put in the, I've mentioned this to you, like mm-hmm. the difference in the infantry is like, I might shoot 1500 rounds in a year and that's all I'm allotted. So you'd really do it until you got it right. 1500 rounds a year is what a, like your average, like, you know, your quals, your tables, everything. Right. And mm. keep in mind, like they deployed my Iraq and Afghanistan with that level of training. So then I get to SF and I shoot like 1500 a day Yeah, because yeah. in SF you do it till you can't get it wrong. Right. So now yeah. we're shooting at night through nods, nods with a light, yeah. through the gap, shooting both, <laughs> both shoulders. Jesus. You know, and like that was the impressive thing. Like for those that know Kyle Lamb, like he's, you know, he does a lot of, now he's, the, he's out of the service and everything. Like he was at the unit for a while. And when I shot with him, like when we would shoot just normal strong side, like running gun, like I'm not saying I kept up with him, but like he wasn't so far ahead of me that I felt like, sure. I was like, man, the difference was no matter what we did, he shot the same speed. So if we shot the other arm at night through oh, a vehicle yeah, yeah. up on top, like his rhythm and his speed and everything was the exact same. Interesting. But I used that line when I was trying to get hired on the civilian side, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this until I get it right. I'm going to make sure the process is there until I can't get it wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so I took those things that like I learned in, you know, there. And so like for a year I was just doing that job. And like, we had lunch rides that were amazing. Like mm-hmm. I was getting back, like the most I'd ridden my bike in years, it was money. And then I kind of got that stupid itch. And then the company was potentially going to get bought at some point. And then I was going to be on deployment. And I was like, well, if they get acquired while I'm gone, I can't fight for my job. Right. And then my company commander was like, Hey, we've got this full-time job with the guard. Do you want it? And I was like, I'm going crawling, crying back to the army. Like they got me again. <laughs> right. So then, you know, <laughs> But then the other cool thing is like, I thought coming off, so I had three years of team time active duty, which most guys get like 18, 24 if they're lucky. But since I was getting out, they're like, just stay where you're at because you don't need to meet these timelines. So I got a ton of extra team time for an officer. So then I get to the National Guard group and the battalion commanders are like, well, yeah, you know active duty teams, but you don't know guard teams. And I looked at him like, sir, are you keeping me on a team? And he's like, absolutely. And I was like, no, like I was so excited because I was like, I thought I was done. Like midlife mm-hmm. crisis needs to start right now because I'm no longer on the ground. And he's giving me. He's Hold like, on. I got to return this yeah. convertible Corvette. That I, bought. <laughs> like, I can still like be on a team. Sweet. And then he's you like, still want me? <laughs> really was that just way. So we're setting the stage to just it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. So then we're supposed to go on a deployment that get changed. And then we go to Africa. Right. And so I'd been to Iraq, been to Afghanistan, you know, a couple of trips under my belt. And I'd never really known Africa, right? So I was like, yeah, let's go. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that we're doing stuff there, but, you know, it's in, like, all the unclassified <laughs> stuff. Sure. Like, we're trying to, like, obviously there's, you know, violent extremist organizations, like Al-Qaeda's there, ISIS is there, mm-hmm. like, the French are there doing work, which, like, I told your friend, <laughs> like, when I was in Afghanistan with the French, it was kind of like, oh, the French, they don't want to do anything. And then no, in no. Africa, they're like, <laughs> it's their Afghanistan because yeah. all those Paris attacks, everything that happened, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, in the mid-teens yeah. in Europe, that all came out of Africa. So that's where they're like, oh, really? Let's go there and, like, start stacking. And guess and guess what? We also have access to um, a sort of deniable force that we can use when we don't <laughs> want to get, get, uh, get, get ourselves uh, wet. Yeah. <laughs> so what's funny is I didn't see those guys till I was leaving. They had, like, the no-joke French commandos that I worked with, and then they came in after us because oh, shit. it was just the rotation, like, the yeah. cycle and everything. So I thought we were going to meet some Legion dudes, but it wasn't. Like, it was – Really? Yeah. So we worked with – It was just – 
straight up French military. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, they honestly, it changed, you know, and we'll talk about an event that really like now, like the French. And then there was, you know, um, I think it's open source. The Canadians were there. We'll just leave it at that. Like, which I was also surprised about. So like the two people I pretty much made fun of nonstop was like yeah. the French and the Canadians. I'm like, wait, they're both like in Africa. And they're actually, Oh, the Canadians so were a riot. Oh, <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. And they, we kind of shared an outstation at times. They'd come live. And with then us I would, hy- I would hypothesize that the, um, the French might've been a little bit less fun, but they were fairly effective at what they were, uh, trying to accomplish there. Very much so. Which, <laughs> One thing I really appreciate about the French that I wasn't expecting is, um, and I think you've, you've probably read it or talked to soldiers and airmen, you know, sailors, seals, whoever. There's a bit in the, the U.S. military of kind of like, let's look at like the nitnoid risk. Like, are you wearing your seatbelt? Are you wearing your gloves? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not worried about like, is the enemy going to shoot me? Like, they're worried about like, if an investigation comes out, like, were they doing the right thing? Kind of uh, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. that's there, right? Because it's a bureaucracy. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. hires. Like, I'm not saying that I endorse it. I know it's a part. It's a True. thing I have to deal with. The French, no joke, they were concerned about the actual risk. Yeah. So they were letting their dudes do the stuff they were trained to do. They were letting them assume whatever risk that their unit trained for. So mm-hmm. I actually was super impressed with what the French are doing in Africa. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're doing work now. Are they probably falling in the same hole as us in Afghanistan? Uh, I mean, to. so let's, I'll, I'll ask you to find gentlemen a question, right? So you're living <laughs> somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa, right? Cause that's where we were doing our thing. You haven't, so the average woman has seven children there because the land is so big and so inhospitable that you have to farm. If you want to harvest, we'll say 20 pounds of goods, that's 20 acres you need to, you know, Mm. that's how terrible it is. Yeah. So big land, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, Islam is the religion down there. So multiple wives, it's totally fine. So like one dude could have two wives with 14 kids. Okay. So the first kid, if he's a boy, he's getting the hookup, right? Because he's going to get dad's land. He's Mm -hmm. going to everything. So the second, third, fourth son isn't getting anything. Troublemakers won't get anything. So then the ISIS dude rolls in on his motorcycle, right? He's got an AK, he's got clothes, he's got a motorcycle, and he tells you he's eaten every day this week. And oh, by the way, we're recruiting. And you guys know this about Africa, like Africans, mm. the capital is very secure. The mm. hinterlands, they just have less, right? Because mm. they're, there's this crazy thing called coup d'etat. I don't yeah. know where they learned it from, but they like to do it from time to time. So unfortunately, <laughs> you, you don't see. That sounds French. Yeah. It's, uh, it's <laughs> totally French. weird. Totally weird. <laughs> so then, like, you get, like, these border regions where neither country is getting out to the hinterlands, but ISIS is doing work there, or Al-Qaeda, depending on what That's part of the recruit, country, Boko yeah. Haram, yeah. And then, like, they've got all this money flowing in because – so there's natural resources. The Chinese are there. The French are there. The Russians are there. There's money being had. So like we kidnap Mark Twight and demand $6 million ransom. Guess what? You've got insurance for $6 million and they'd rather just pay that. Well, where do, you, where do you think that money goes to buy this ISIS dude a motorcycle with a machine gun and give him you know money mm-hmm. and then tell him to go recruit? So like – so, but again, like, and I had this in Afghanistan as well. Like, at the time, the Taliban. No one would pay $6 million for me. Not even the insurance company. There's be like, dude, the shit Mark, that he's been saying Mark, lately, Mark, 2.5 Mark, max. <laughs> just know we would want to yes. if we could. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's also insurance. Your premium's not $6 million. That's like, true. Yeah. By like your travel's insurance or whatever. Yeah. But like, I had the same experience in <laughs> Afghanistan. Like, we were so far from Kabul. Like, mm-hmm here's a shocker, like centralized government in a place like that. And Africa doesn't work because there's tribes and there's loyalties. So like this village elder tells me to my face, like, yeah, we're going to let the Taliban come in as soon as you guys leave because they settle land disputes and they like, 
this guy can plant poppy for him for a hundred dollars a month, whereas the Afghan the Kabul government's not doing anything for him. Right. So yeah. like in a sense, like Iraq almost was like they even though under Saddam like there were some atrocities, like they wanted to be that that Western culture of running water, running mm-hmm. you know electricity. So like in Iraq, I felt like we could actually get through to the populace and be like, hey, let's secure your neighborhood because they got let's, a glimmer of civilization, like a totally, glimmer of the yeah. Western mm-hmm. whatever way it is. And like in Kabul, yeah, mm-hmm. you can convince businessmen and people wanting to make hand over fist off the government or whoever. But then like you get out to these teeny like I was in Wardak province in Afghanistan. Like, how am I going to convince somebody in Syedabad to like, no, no, you should like pay homage to Kabul because they're not going to do anything to help you. Right. Yeah. And they won't settle your land disputes. And even if they do, it'll be corrupt. But like, honestly, the Taliban went on like a really good messaging thing where they like they held their commanders accountable. If they took mm-hmm. refuge in a house that then we hit. Mm hmm. And we killed a couple of kids. The Taliban would go after their commanders for like, why did you go into that house? Mm. Like, even though they'd use it as propaganda sure. of us killing kids. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. But because they were showing the local populace, like, no, the Taliban cares about you. Then they had to make good on their yeah. sort of, hey, we mm-hmm. take responsibility for you. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. Which is kind of, you know, <laughs> I think us uh, to, to remove all the like labels and get down to the bottom of it, like the organization of people in order to you know mobilize them and take care of them and in in any kind of civilized manner is generally what is happening and the war and the terrorists and the freedom fighters we're just labeling these things when they don't band together in big enough groups right but but even if you if you back up like far enough you'll see that the shit is so ridiculous at like a twenty thousand foot level and then you go in at your level and you go it's like incomprehensible about what you could do about it. I think, I think that's the hardest part is to like bridge those two gaps because everybody has opinions about it. Yeah. Well, and so like there we are in Africa trying to do work and like nobody in the American government or the American people want another Afghanistan, another Iraq. Right. So like we're doing there, we're trying to like, again, like even though ISIS is doing a great job recruiting, if you go in a village and you don't recruit and you don't do it, what does the ISIS do? Like they shwack the whole village or the, all the elders and then they take the wives, you know, for themselves or whatever. Like, And this is different. And this is like, this would be, I mean, not just theoretically different than what Al-Qaeda was doing. when. little different. Yeah. ISIS yeah. has a different playbook. Yeah. Okay. Because of the, you know, and, and we could go down everything that no, you saw okay. them doing in like Syria and Iraq mm-hmm. back in the day and kind of everything to where they wanted that caliphate. It basically gave them a blank check to like, you know, and that's where you see the kidnappings of women and like the, the wives slaves and some of the other mm-hmm. thing, like, you know, they took all those Kurds, you know, those girls and everything that happened. So ISIS has a different playbook and even, and like, so we start to like do well again, Iraq, you know, like the Iraqi special operations guys did a lot of work. We surged in there, obviously did a well, lot of work. What it's, year is this? Of like the Iraq stuff or no, like, when you're in Africa. So I'm there in 19. Okay. So two years ago ish. Okay. And then they had been there. So if you, it was kind of a blip on the radar in 2017 four you know u.s soldiers were killed uh two green berets and two support dudes that yeah. got an ambush in northern yeah. niger so that was my like i was in that sector that was my ao like mm-hmm. i saw it on the map i drove past it kind of everything else now since then we were like okay they're much bigger threat than we think they are so you know like a, a lot, we had more assets available to us than that team that got hit like i don't want to point you know, I could armchair quarterback what happened and how those four dudes got killed, but like I wasn't there. I don't know what they were operating under. Like a quick clarifying question: If you had to like determine, if you had to make um, like a description of why you are in the military, is it like the true belief constitutionally, or is it 
probably the not so talked about version of it is like the adventurism. Um, so I watched my dad did it. So like I saw that. So I was like, oh, yeah, to answer your question, mm-hmm. it started as patriotism. Mm-hmm. And then we, we kind of started to see the holes. Like when I got to Baghdad and I started to see like, so I was in an operation and it was on CNN that night and I saw what was messaged yeah. and I saw what was there and I was like, bullshit. Like that did not happen. Sure. That is totally off. And I was like, oh, cool. Bad situations need good people. Optics. Yeah. So at that point it changed to, I'd already, and maybe I saw bits and pieces of it, but it really solidified like, um, you know, we had made, we'd left our little outstation and we were at the big fob to get some supplies. And so we got to eat in the chow hall and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, look, we're on the news guys. And like, I was so disgusted with what I saw that I was sure. like, that kind of solidified, like even bad situations need good people. So like political decisions, like they're made, you know, yes, sure. I vote, but like, I really, at the end of the day, like don't care because it's not my decision to care. It's my job to carry out orders to make sure the dudes to my left and my right mm-hmm. have the best leadership in a bad situation. Does that answer your question? Yeah, kind of like I just want to because there's some like, I don't know, disillusionment that might happen that we have these like and the same thing might happen in any given organization. So it's not just the military, but the military is, you know, representative of of this deeper seated patriotism, constitutionalism, whatever you want to call it. There's like this calling to defend that. And I like I. I ask because I wonder if that like goes away once you're there. Like if you're like, okay, I got started because I really do believe the things that we're supposed to do are genuinely good. And that takes bad things sometimes, sometimes, you know, whatever. Um, But then does it change and you go, oh, fuck. Well, now I'm just here and doing these things under the banner of what I still think is good. Yeah, that'd probably be a good way. I think one of the thoughts that I had is, you know, a lot of people would really, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I have no idea. I've never really dive into it with a lot of people that have been there, but I never really had like a, even when like my guy, like I didn't lose anybody in Iraq, which was amazing, but in Afghanistan, lost two of my soldiers, a couple of friends, mm-hmm. you know, um, fellow officers, guys I'd been to school with, whatever died. And even though like I was super pissed that they died and everything, like I never held, we'll say malice towards them, even though I wanted them dead sure. because like one the, i think you the enemy the enemy the yeah, enemy, yeah. The top end, yeah um or you know if it was al-qaeda in iraq or whoever right. whatever theater my friends died in um it wasn't like a, a mouse towards them because at the end of the day like the second both of us step foot on the battlefield we both forfeit our lives yeah yeah because that's yeah. what we like if he's shooting at me and i'm shooting like yeah yeah but also like i think you have to keep and then stealing this from my father you have to keep killing in the middle i can't enjoy it because that'd make me a sociopath of some variety and I can't be gun shy from it. So it has to just mean, so like when, you know, when UBL went down, when Osama bin Laden was killed, mm-hmm. you know, like there was all these people, you know, and Facebook was all the rage at that time. And like friends and colleagues are like, oh, celebrating all this stuff and everything. And it's like, well, how does this, like someone posted on mine, like, Derek, how do you feel about today? And I was like, honestly, like I'm keeping it in the middle. Like I'm not celebrating his death because like yeah, yeah. celebrating a human being being killed. Like I don't want to celebrate that but at the same time like yeah he's gone i think the people that would celebrate aren't the people who do the killing right and that that's really like the disconnect and that i maybe that's what it's more of a comment of like you know what the disconnect is and does that like it maybe this is foreshadowing but how big of a how big of a um ingredient is that yeah it's there um well, and even, you know, we'll maybe talk about this a little further when we talk about what we came here to talk about because we're mm-hmm. on a tangent. 
That's okay. It's, it's a we'll call it a journey instead of a tangent. Tangent's kind <laughs> of negative. We'll call it's it a, a journey. It's yeah. a wormhole. So like there I am like in college and you know, USA offers me like $20,000, like free unsecured. Don't have to pay it till I'm like commission everything. I was like, well shit, I'm going to get a truck because I'm going to be dead <laughs> in a year anyway. Right? Like I didn't think anything of that of the time, sure, yeah. but like, I was like, well, I'm going to go. And like this, this may sound juvenile, trivial, whatever, but like at the time, like again, like the Iranians were doing some work, like the EFPs in Iraq were pretty bad. Like they were cutting through everything we had. And I was like, I don't want to die screaming. So I would do mental rehearsals. If I looked down at my legs weren't there that I'd wiggle them and say, look, I have stubs and then pass out. But I knew that if I trained it in my brain to do that, then like my gunner, my driver, whoever like, oh yeah, the LT died as he was wiggling his legs saying, I have no legs. I have no legs. Cause I just knew it was going to happen. But that disassociation <laughs> with my life, you know, like wrote all those letters to friends, gave mm-hmm. it to another friend and said, Hey, if I don't come back, send these out for me. Luckily we burned that mofo as soon as I came back. Sure. But I didn't realize that dissociation. And again, like I forfeit my life. Like I can't be mad if I get shot at, cause I'm going to shoot back at that dude. Like sure. we have an agreement, you know, whoever's the better shot, whoever has better tactics today is going to win. Yeah. There are lucky shots, but probability wise. Um, so that dissociation, with personal relationships, with other things, like that's something I had to work on and something like even in my marriage and stuff like, you know, again, we'll talk more down the road, but like the counselor had to point that out to me. Do you realize that decision you made to buy the truck that you're going to be dead in a year that's set within your brain, not to like make meaningful Mm -hmm. relationships with anybody other than your left and your right. Mm -hmm. Like the guys that are there with you, like, cause yeah, once you get there, like it goes out the window, it's about everyone around you. Mm -hmm. And like, if I have to go into this village, like, do I really care about the dude we're going to get? No, I really care about bringing everybody home. And fighting, right. like, the fear is not dying. The fear is failing my left and my right. That's the greatest fear. That's why I train. That's why I'm studying. That's why I'm doing the coordinations with the battalion operations officer and getting my medevac plan down pat, you know, mm-hmm. like, because if I fail my left and my right, that's my biggest fear. And always, I think, will be just, it's there. I, I mean, that's why I think it's a dangerous weapon, right? Not because you're conscious of the actual act that needs to take care because it's so hyper defensive of the people around you. And then if every other person is hyper defensive and agitated around you, you built this, like it's a very like synchro weapon that, you know, obviously people can't fuck with. Yeah. Um, but you almost can't be conscious of the thing that you're going to do because you have to be so aware of what's going around you. And I think this is what sets the stage for what we're like getting into and that is rambling on and trying to like pick out little things, um, maybe not coherently, but, um, in, in the background of like, there's this call, I felt the same pull, right? Like, Oh, adventure. And like, yeah, I'm American. Like I never cared about being America, uh, American until I left America. Mm. And then I was like, Oh fuck, I see it. Like, okay. When I came back, it felt like home and I understood, Uh, you know, not until like probably deep into my twenties, maybe 25 or 26 when I was like, holy shit, we actually have something here. That's like, it's really special and you don't notice it until it's gone. And so you got, I got this like fervor, this patriotic fervor that was like, yeah. And it wasn't like waving a fucking flag around. It was just like this. I don't, maybe it was a, maybe that's the, maybe that's the fucking trickery of it. You know, they're, they're weaponizing me and I wanted to join and I wanted to do all of this. And then the adventuring goes on top of it. Cause you know, who doesn't want to be a fucking pirate <laughs> that that's really like, you know, it's in, it's in our blood. 
for most of history. Like there was a division of men and women that would go around adventuring and taking what they wanted and doing as they pleased because they were, you know, they could. Yeah. And I think the mixture of those two is what we have. And then when you, you know, brew that concoction over time and um, you try to strong arm it and then you try to, you know, make money off of it and you try to leverage it uh, for opinion and against opinion and then for corporate whatever. And now we have a fucking kind of a disaster because the what you weaponized in somebody is still going off when they get home. And that that's the that's no one knows what the fuck to do about it. Yeah. So what did you do when you got home? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this is the fun part. So in Africa, right. And, um, always surround yourself with amazing people. Right. So like the team that me and my team started put together were some truly talented dudes. Um, and I'd come from active duty. Some of the national guards is probably a chip on our shoulder. Right. Cause we're like, you know, the, the part-time soldier weekend wear whatever you want. Like within SF, like we go through the same training, the same everything, but like, Oh, you're the part-time guys. And like, usually when we get there, like one of my dudes was like, an the part-time guys, except I was over there for a year. Last <laughs> time. It seemed pretty full time to me. <laughs> well, but, the good uh, thing in at least big army, there's a little you know. more of like national guard. They look down like regular our infantry versus mm-hmm. national guard. infantry. they look mm-hmm. down in SF. They're much more accepting of us. Mm-hmm. And like little examples, like half my team was active duty. One guy was like an FBI guy that was like raiding houses and doing stuff. Another guy was like a pro MMA fighter. My medic was actually a doctor. Like, mm. you know, like this whole team, like, you know, my, my communicators, like, or one's working on like ICBMs, the other's like working contracts. Like they're talented dudes. Like my team starting works on like the cyber side, like super talented. Like my Intel guy was also a JTAC. Like, so we look at this, like my national guard team was stacked. So we're doing work, right? And so like, it's like a fantasy league. Yeah. Should do like a, a fantasy SF team. <laughs> That's kind of what like, it's a weird, like it's like a draft and there's like, totally and my buddy's going through this right now. Like the dude I was with in Africa now, he has his own team and he's trying to build it. And so he's trying to find the right personalities and the right yeah. people. And he's like, you get the new guys coming from the Q course, like, hey, who's in the Q course that's still, that's really good? Because you get reputations, mm-hmm. right? Because then he comes to the company as a new guy. Then it's no, there's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there's no value to him because he's just a new guy. But if you know that he's the heat or he's got some prior experience, then you get him for free. So you're like trying to leverage the new guys, but the new guys have to <laughs> prove themselves. Like and a fucking draft. Oh yeah. Well, because every company has six <clears throat> SF teams, right? So there's you know six captains, six master sergeants, six warrants that are running these teams, and everyone's obviously you want the best team. Well, yeah. So it really is a draft. And then like on top of the draft, you just have like personalities. Yeah. Yeah. And, and luckily which ones are going to sort of work together and mutually mm-hmm. support. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm sure you yeah. saw with the military that you've both trained mm-hmm. a lot. Like when that team gels together, you can tell because like they'll joke, they'll like horrendously like tease each other and like do tricks. And like, you know, the last trick that was done to me is they filled like I was out in the field and I left my keys exposed in my office. Cause like, well, if they need to move my car, in case you're wondering, you can fit six to eight balloons in my car. And oh, by the way, the one balloon that was in like the rearview mirror was like dick confetti. So as soon as I popped it, trying to clean and get like yeah, wherever, like the confetti just goes all <laughs> over the place, right? Like this is what you do. But like any of those dudes, like the two dudes that decorated dick my car. Confetti. Oh yeah, like this big. I'm still vacuuming out of my car. <laughs> still. That's Hilarious. Awesome. But again, SF guys, kind super of. brilliant, right? So they, <laughs> they put all these balloons, they put the one under the mirror and tie it there so that when I pop it, it spreads and yeah. it's also far enough in that at this point I'm just popping as fast as yeah, I can because yeah, yeah. I want to go home. Yeah. And then it pops open and I was like, you 
Like, yeah, it's ingenious. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really what happens can, when you take can... millions of dollars and you train somebody <laughs> to be strategic <laughs> and sneaky and lethal, and, yes. and, to, and then you stick them on and their then friends. To, to, to have a really good handle on human behavior, so that we know that if we create this situation, by the time he arrives at this point, this is what That's he's going to do. Such a oh, yeah. These two war gamed it because they knew that I was coming back. They knew that I had to go deal with my other job that I was working because we were out, you know, doing work in the desert they knew i was going to come back like these they're brilliant you just yeah. can't like you can't even be mad about the prank because of the brilliance <laughs> yeah. yes like, yeah they put so much into yeah. it like i picked up my kitties too right and like he picks up a piece of confetti like what this like like confetti like let's throw that away like oh that's a penis my son like, yeah. <laughs> there, there was a thousand of them in here i vacuumed 900 of them and we'll probably find hundred more the, penises yeah. watch out the tiny dicks yeah. that did this you'll know yeah, yeah. Oh, so good so like really these s like these 12 man teams like they're a riot and when you get it right and we and it wasn't me it was my team sergeant like mm -hmm. he's the nco i'm just the one that goes and gets the mission ask my guys how they want well first i try to ask him what mission do you want and i try to go win that one and then when i come back like how do you want to do it how much risk do we need to take and then i need to go sell that to hire right and that's the beauty of sf is they're so good so where i'm going with this is so we're we took over from another group an active duty group and they were rolling around in hilux trucks and my Hilux truck also had a minigun on top of it, right? So nice. you're talking like Toyota. I think I've shown you the yeah. picture. It just epitomizes why I can't, like, I've got a beard. <laughs> I've got a, like, uh, like my Peltor's on. I got my M4 right behind me, but I'm on the mini. Like, this is, this is exactly, like, you do say, like, the fun. adventurism. Yeah. Operator's fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, like, okay, we're rolling with this thing, right? And then, like, so I'm... There's not one person that doesn't want to just be there, right? Like, <laughs> totally. I, you know, even if I shy away from the political disagreements or I might, you know, have some liberal leanings towards anti-war or whatever yeah. you'd like to see a picture like that you're like fuck yeah yeah if i told you you can wear body armor <laughs> yeah, on a hum totally. on, on a hilux a toyota hilux yeah with a minigun on top of it with three thousand rounds on it like yeah we're gonna <laughs> so i'm sitting at my desk like <laughs> typing away right um because i'm the officer so i'm doing like the work to get us out the wire mm -hmm. right my team starts helping me out you know we try to like kick him to the dudes as much as possible but he and i both know like hey our role right now is to get out the wire so whatever, because again, no one wants us to fight to actively target. We're supposed to help the Africans, get them, mm. you know, to help out whatever way we can, whether it's intelligence, training, whatever we tried to do. But like we couldn't actively target because that's not what they wanted. But we could go with them to certain events. So we tried to like uh, do as many of those yeah, events. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, there's a, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, yeah. nudge going on over here. Uh, I think we should. <laughs> do you think you'd want yeah. to take us as a second? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Captain, do you really want to go there with this intelligence report? Like, oh, we don't feel that's an accurate <clears throat> report at all. Yeah, that's they're probably not there. Yeah. But the good people are, so we should go see them. So, yeah, there was yeah, We some... should take gifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the form of 762. Yeah, yeah. do they think exactly. they like ammo? <laughs> So we're rolling around. Do they like it when it's moving or towards them? Yeah, or when they're carrying it. Yeah. Like, God. So I'm sitting there doing doing the the, op, the hard work, the op, you know the PowerPoint Ranger stuff. You know, like the <laughs> me and Microsoft Office were like this at this point. And any like enlisted you know um, service member laughing is like <laughs> officers. Like, yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, we're really yep. good at PowerPoint, unfortunately. And uh, <laughs> and so like my pretty much all the NCOs, like these guys. So like that, that FBI, I told you about my web, my two weapons guys, my intelligence guy, uh, one of the engineers that had done some on the civilian side, again, like weird things that you get, like he had worked like counter IED, you know, for his explosive device as a contractor and like really known it well. And they're like, Hey sir, like these Hiluxes, like we had seen some IED activity North of us hadn't come like within 120 kilometers. 
And they're like, if we get hit in our Hilux is like, we're going to die. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's kind of a big deal. I was like, so what do you want to <laughs> do about that? Right? Like, and again, like my truck is the coolest out of all of them. Cause where it was in the movement is I got the mini. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and if the, and if my gunner, like it's 120 degrees, I might have to rotate up there and take the gun from time to time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I was like, I really like my truck. It's high. Again, this is the SF dream. And they're like, Hey sir, like we need, they didn't call me sir, call me Derek. Hey Derek. When I tell the story with high reps, anyway, yeah. like, Hey Derek, <laughs> like we need, like, this isn't going to work. Like, Bro. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what do you want me to do? Like, well, our sister team, they had the MATV. So these are your mine resist. Yeah. Mine resistant. Yeah. Um, the like ambush protection. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. The V holes, the big ones, like they're huge. They're 40,000 pounds. And we had the, the super mobile ones. Like when I was in Baghdad, I had the gen one, like if you took it off road, you were screwed. Mm. They had got Oshkosh built a super cool one, you know, Oshkosh. and the gunners. Yeah. It's actually Oshkosh. I'll show you a picture of this. Remind me. Cause you can see Oshkosh on the, on the front. You're like, <laughs> I'm driving a toy in a, anyway. So the, like kind of our sister team has these, right. And they've got like, can you reach out to the other captain and what's see? a, what, how close is a sister team? Is that just another uh, SF unit or? Yeah. Yeah. Sister. Okay. So this sister team, they couldn't stay in their outstation all the time. So they would do episodic engagements and then come back. But okay. all their trucks were at the hubs. So they'd fly out, do some work, okay. fly back. Okay. But all their trucks were basically chilling at like with the company headquarters with the next mm-hmm. higher headquarters. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like, well, can you call the captain and see if he's cool with it? I was like, yeah. So I called, you know, his, his name's Ben. I was like, hey, man, can you give me three of these things? I'm going north. It's kind of sketchy. My dudes are telling me, like, the ID threat is a little sketchy. And, like, our Alex is like – and he had six of them, I think. So, like, for how many dudes he had and how many I had, he could give me three for – he's like, yeah, you can have them for a little while. And I was like, okay, thanks, man. Like, I got a couple hmm. missions I got to go up north with. Again, like, we were so – like, trying to get out of the wire was so difficult. Like, it wasn't like – Af- Afghanistan, Iraq, where we were at every day. This was mm-hmm. like, you know, not as much. So uh, we get the trucks, we start loading them up, we're starting to do stuff. And no joke, three weeks after we got the trucks, like my vehicle rolls over an ID, blows it to smithereens. The Hilux or the? No, no, oh, this the, is the, the, the up armored, the okay. MATV. If I was in the Hilux, I, we wouldn't be having this conversation right mm. now, right? So right. Um, blast is pretty decent. It was a push charge. Luckily the V hole did its job, but it still like flung a 40,000 pound vehicle with all four of us inside ragdoll. Um, oh, pretty. Shit. Yeah. And like between like concussions from like work related or fun, like I'd had a few like hits to my <laughs> head and needless to say, like I got a TBI now and that's why my notebooks right there. I don't really remember things too well or anything. So, mm. um, so I get, I get medevaced, right? So me and my dudes, we take off, we get medevaced. You know, I'm up in Germany for a while. I get cleared to come back. Like there was some negotiating. Mm-hmm. I was on like a six week, basically like, don't do this. Don't look at screens. Like the TBI protocols that you would see for like an NFL athlete, mm-hmm. like they're trying to mm-hmm. adopt. Cause back in the day, I still remember like guys would get hit with IEDs when oh, we were in Baghdad and it's like, you're good. Next, okay, yeah. let's get back. And then we found out how bad that was, even just from shooting their guns or shooting <laughs> yeah, a machine gun. They even, all the percussion. Yeah. From yeah. all of that. So like now they're much better about it. So like they let me come back, obviously like it's even, it's even if like if the inference is like, don't even listen to your favorite Dr. Dre album. Like just fucking chill out yeah because of how sensitive your brain is at that point. Yeah. They like in my medics were, and I, one of them was a doctor. Like, so he was, he and the other medic, like they were very stringent. Like That's I could, good. I could work 15 minutes on my computer, like for yeah. at a six hour time. So I could work 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at like night if I wanted mm-hmm. to, I wasn't allowed to watch movies. 
Yeah. I could go tanning on the roof, which you guys know is super important for mm-hmm. many, like, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. cause of the vitamin D, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, oh yeah. yeah. It's not because yeah. I was trying to get like tan and jacked on deployment. Exactly. Like, whoever does that. Precursor, no one would yeah. ever do yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I actually had to watch like my, like you guys see me wear heart monitor more mm-hmm. for giggles, not for like actual measuring, but like uh, my medic would actually wear my watch and he wouldn't let me get above a certain level when we were running for every week mm. just because they were, yeah. you know, that honestly it was great. And like, um, when I realized something different had happened from that versus like other things that had happened to me is I was getting, and we have these shitty little, you know, shower shoes like this, uh, trailers. That's what it shoes. And I had just stepped out and, you know, wrapped my towel around me. And then all of a sudden the blast, um, we'll call it a flashback hit me. Mm. And the only way I can describe it is if like you're ever watching a movie and then it shows like, mm-hmm. we'll say Michael getting out of the shower with the towel on and then it just flashes the screen just to like Terminator 2 style, like just explosion. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's what's going through my head. And I just kind of sat there and gripped and I just like, okay, like everything I'd gone through for pain and everything else, like I don't go to my happy place. I internalize it. And I was like, let's just let it overwhelm me. So like that whole, like, I have no idea how long it took, but it was a while and it went through me and I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's new. Okay, cool. That's a new couple, Derek. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to work through it. A um, couple of weeks later, some other trigger hits it right back at it. Like that same, like, I'm just paralyzed. Just like, okay. And this happens, you know, so I get back. I, it was about half, about halfway through the deployment is when I noticed this for a couple more months. Basically, and, I was and having nobody's aware you're not. I like, told my you, medic and my team sergeant. Okay. Um, I told the medic just because I didn't know if it was a, you know. Something else. It was something else. Yeah. yeah. But and I also told my team sergeant because if we were potentially out in sector, because mm-hmm. it took a while to get back outside the wire. Obviously, we had to show them like, yeah, yeah. yeah you're we're not going to die again. Like we're not going to get blown up. I shouldn't yeah, say yeah. die again. We're not going to get blown up again. This is like yeah, it's cost effective. It took a long time to get back. We actually had to wait for the generals to switch out for us to go back out. Oh no shit! Yeah. How many? How long is that? Luckily, it was only a month. So like, so you got blown up. You were in. They just flew you back to Germany because mm-hmm. that's where like the in Africa, we don't have the same right. yeah, structure. Yeah. So the next closest thing was I took like a Navy, you know, bird up to, yeah. to launch tool and they have a great TBI clinic there, unfortunately, because of the sheer amount of, you know, explosions and injuries so, that have So happened. you're just in Germany. So I was in Germany and now you're back in, now I'm back yeah. in Africa. Yeah. So my first flashback wasn't in Germany. Okay. First um, is in Africa. Yeah. And like, so they ha- they give you these tests, like, remember these numbers, remember these things. And like, I was failing for like days. Really? And then finally my brain started to heal because I yeah. was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I started to get better. Then it took a while to get medevac just because of a lot of reasons. But yeah. just, it wasn't your normal, like, oh, you got hit. Okay, we're medevacing you. To, like in Afghanistan, I would have been probably in launch within like a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I shouldn't say a couple hours. After the flight time, yeah. you know, yeah. a couple of things. But Africa was a little different. So we had to move some assets and do some other stuff. But by the time I got there, like I had talked to the TBI doc, um, and she was cool. She had, you know, been around. She actually treated my other medic, not the doctor medic, the other one from his TBI when he was in Afghanistan. So go back, um, go back to the actual incident. Okay. Um, because you tend to fast forward over that, yeah. right? You yeah. do, because you're avoiding it. It's like guarding an injury, right? Like, right, but I mean, if you're willing to do it in... Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like... Um, when you, I, I guess, go from the moment where you realize that you're not dead. Yeah. So, um, things I remember vividly. Um, so hand was outstretched and it was on the dash cause we we're kind of honestly like ISIS was smart, right? The only good thing we had going for us is like we had the high ground mm. and then, um, 
they knew where the channelization was going to happen. They know that a team had to go, like someone would have to go through the low ground to get to the next because, you know, we were doing yeah. the whole Overwatch thing. And then one of the guys, the the JTAC that was kind of took control of the thing because I was down, um, he saw like a smoke screen that was probably like, hey, we hit Americans, not Africans. So like, yeah. don't, usually it's a complex attack. The last time they did this, they hit with an ID, came up with their technicals that they had stolen with mm-hmm. like, PKMs, Dishkas, all these other stuff, and like laid waste like 50 Africans. Mm-hmm. That was the last time they'd used an ID. Then this white puff of smoke goes up, and nobody comes and hits us afterwards. But that's only because like we maintain the high ground. And right. just by chance, again, I said I don't hate the French anymore. We had a French uh, rotary wing asset that just happened to be in the area. And my JTAC was so good that he had done so much work with the French. And he yeah. was an um, Army JTAC, not Air Force JTAC. Not that's a big difference, but he was on my team, is really what that comes from. It wasn't attached to me is he was able to bring them over right away. Um, and we were basically like, we think we didn't have a complex attack because of that. So you should, so anyway, I'm telling you that just because mm, like yeah. my actions in the truck were because I thought we were about to get lit up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're cruising down, my arms stretched out, and we're going down, and it's kind of bumpy and everything else. Again, it's great channelization. So they knew where to put the IED. Mm-hmm. They knew where we had to go to get to this particular spot, you know, and they knew that we'd have to go that way because there's just not that many mm-hmm. ways to go. So... I remember blowing up, kind of ragdolling through, like, in this left shoulder. You know, <laughs> Seems to take all the, the yeah. brunt of everything, man. <laughs> Mountain bike crash, like, the year before. Yeah. And then this year, yeah. So, like, the initial one where this was bad. So, like, because it was outreached and yeah. it, it was such a fast explosion, right? Because, yeah. like, that push charge is, like, 3,200 feet per second or something. <sighs> and it pushed a 40,000-pound vehicle, like, instant, instantly. Yeah. So that arm went out. Um, I was not wearing my seatbelt at the time. I can't remember if I put that on my paperwork. So hopefully there's no like army civilian <laughs> fact checker that listens to your podcast. I doubt it. But, probably, um, probably not. So I remember kind of getting smashed up and coming down. And because it was in the desert, like there was just a ton of brownout and everything. And honestly, we were like, like as soon as we hit, like I didn't lose conscious. I was actually truthful about oh, that. Oh, really? I actually didn't, which kind of surprised me because I did smash my head pretty good. Um, comes up and it was like. And just like wearing a bump helmet or. Ballistic, Der- no helmet. Derek, can take a punch. Pretty sure my paperwork. I put the because obviously, like CYA, like I put, yeah. I was wearing my helmet, but I wasn't wearing a helmet. I had yeah. a, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, well, and two, this was close. This but was did only, you have a mask on? Yeah. I'm t- <laughs> well, and so the other thing is, this was only five kilometers from our outstation. So, like, this was like within the realm oh, of where we fuck. thought that we were safe. Not to say like right. if we would have gotten further down, like I would have put like my, but like I was getting ready to dismount and like it's hot. It was Africa, hot. literally yeah. Africa. Like we joke about it, it was <laughs> actual Africa hot. Fucking Africa. And I was gonna go chow. Like I, yeah. I don't think I was gonna be. So I didn't wear a helmet. Like I yeah. had a. Um, you guys have seen like my little, mm-hmm. the. Uh, European guide headband that I like well, to wear. Yes. Yeah. So this was an Ordovox one. It was yeah, a, nice. it was merino wool. It was really great. Um, <laughs> so I was just wearing that. So yeah, I smashed around the cabin, came down, and in that I was like, oh, what happened? What happened? And then I'm looking from my door because I'm just waiting for the the fire to happen, like ready to go. Yeah. Um, my EOD tech was actually driving, which is even so we should rewind back. We were supposed to leave on this little gig at like eight in the morning. We didn't leave until one in the afternoon because there was a sandstorm the night before that totally just came in and just wiped the ground clean, like a little bit of rain with it too. So like normally we'd see ground sign and mm-hmm. I think my EOD tech would have spotted that they had dug something in there. Mm-hmm. But we, because of the windstorm, like the whole, it's like a fresh powder storm, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah. you would not know that there's anything there. So he didn't see the pressure plate. We ran over, it blew up. When we came to rest, I just remember like, what the, like, yeah. you, like, and now I'm like, okay, he's okay. He's okay. There's four in the Vic, um, driver, 
I was in the front passenger. Back left was where the gunner sat with his little, you know, Game Boy. Luckily, mm-hmm. it was that MATV that I talked about and had a remote control gun. Not he wasn't on top of it. Oh right, because he would have probably yeah. been flung. Even if he had his restraint on, he probably would have. Yeah. It would have been a bad day. And then uh, another one of my dudes, my Charlie, was right behind me. And so this kid, this EOD tech, probably talk about this. He's like 20 years old. You know, I'm in my 30s. Dude mm-hmm. behind me is in his 30s. Dude on the side's in his 30s, and they're just jacked as like they would be very welcome in your space. EOD tech, <laughs> not so much just because he's a little dude. He's new to the army still. Like he was the junior EOD tech. Of course, the guy in the lead vehicle mm-hmm. had the the more seasoned EOD tech in his vehicle. Um, so we blew up. He's kind of shaken and rattled. He's kind of shaken and rattled. Jarrett in the back's fine. Like he's, mm. that dude is a Diesel. specimen. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so then like truck radios are down, everything else. Like obviously I'm assuming the other two trucks saw what had happened. So then, um, one thing that, that, you know, NCO way back in my very first, like calm breathes calm over the radio. Yep. So I'm turning on my personal radio cause I'm plugged into the truck. It's not working. And I keep my personal radios off to save battery cause we were going to be out for hours. Mm-hmm. And so luckily I could reach it, turned it on, booted up. And I was like, took two breaths. And I was like, you know, I called my JTAC. Um, my team sergeant was gone. He was in another African country coordinating another mission. <laughs> So it wasn't even my most senior NCO that was on the ground. It was the second dude. It was the JTAC um, and also our intelligence sergeant. And I hit him up on his call center. He's got a way cool call center. I'll tell you about it. Um, but I was like, hey, man, this is, you know, hey, this is me. Like, we're up. We're good. And I tried to just be as calm as possible because I know what happens, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want him to rush to us. I don't want a secondary device, you know, that mm-hmm. they're trying to get to us so fast. Yeah. And I also want to maintain, like, we're okay. They haven't started shooting at us yet. They probably will. I don't want them to move to our position because I know they're in the high ground. Mm-hmm. I want them to maintain that. I was like, we're good, we're good, we're good. Are you, like, so we, we had a quick conversation back and forth. Um, at about that same time, now the dust has settled. And like, we're talking a huge, again, this thing is monster, right? And we see finally see the front of it. And it's just like a skeleton of an engine. Like the front left wheel that's like two, 300 pounds is like 150 feet to the, you know, nine o'clock. I see pieces of the hood ahead of us. And it was just like, oh my God. And like, we're lopsided, yeah. you know, because that tire's gone. The right uh, the back left wheel was in the crater that happened. So what I remember about the blast, when you go back to it, and the only reason I know this is the thing we'll talk about, like I got some help down the road is, um, it was just the force, the heat, the pressure. Mm. Um, as soon as, you know, so then we had the other EOD guy clear up to us, you know, after we realized they weren't going to shoot, we got the helicopter overhead helicopter reported, couldn't see anything. So we knew we were straight. I think that's what happened. A little fuzzy at this point. I wasn't in charge at that point either. So, <laughs> And somehow we knew. So they started clearing towards us. Then the medic got to us like, hey, are you okay? And I just remember like a very particular spot on my back Mm. where I probably hit the seat on the way up because, you know, they're kind of angled-ish. And it was right where my plate isn't and I don't have anything. So right there, I remember it was painful. The bottom of my feet were super tingly just because they slapped. Uh, Um, The top of my head obviously hurt. And then just like a wicked headache and just like that heat and pressure kind of was there. mm. So that was like the actual blast. A very vivid, very acute like it was it was a significant emotional event you know as i like to say and i got out of the vic and like my medic i thought i was fine but my medic later down the road he he was my running buddy so we would go on you know hour-long runs together and we'd have a long-form podcast together and he's like yeah you weren't good he's like i told you you were fine and you look good but like you weren't good like you weren't moving well as you normally do you weren't speaking as well as you usually do you were you fucked up yeah you were pretty you were there right so like it was tbi Mm -hmm. um for sure um i mean we got super lucky that we were in those trucks that it was a push charge and not a cut charge and it thank goodness it wasn't one of those efps from like 
you know, back in the Baghdad days that just, cause that we wouldn't have survived one of those really good ones from back in the day, but this particular, because they had stolen it from a mine and it was mm-hmm. a push charge, it was designed to push and the V hole saved us, even though it wrecked. So then on my desk, um, at my office, I've got a piece of the frame of this 40, again, 40,000 pound that blew off. When we went back to recover the vehicle, yeah. I picked it up off the ground and like that goes with me now to every office. And it's a piece of the MATV that I got blown up in and, you know, and then another piece that kind of just, you know, everyone holds on to something from that, tra- you know, traumatic event is the flag that we had flying before the dust storm had ripped mm. and just got kind of shredded. And it was kind of old anyway, but it had really gotten bad. And, you know, we had taken down and replaced it and I had just thrown it in like a box, like, oh, we'll do something with this. And then I got blown up like two hours later. It's now in my garage and I see it every day because mm-hmm. it, and I didn't fix it either, which isn't right. I should retire it. But for whatever reason in my mind, that flag is broken, but it's still serving a purpose. And I was like still messed up, but I'm still serving a purpose. So like I keep it in my garage. So like my garage, it's kind of like I got a little space for like ski and bike kind of work. And so like flag here and then on this side, it's all the places I've been deployed. Mm-hmm. It's like the, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, and then like all the contingency stuff, you know, all the other places I've been. So, but that's kind of like the main, when you kind of look back and for whatever reason, it just makes me feel good to see it every day that it's still there, even though it's tattered, ripped, brown, kind of the sandstorm. Like it's just kind of, it's a weird thing. I don't think it's that weird. (sighs) I think it's weird that you went back, but, uh, but also it makes sense too. Like one of the first things, um, I, I think when you're trained or even not even if you're trained, if you're a conscious person and you're kind of aware about the level that you're at or that you're performing or whatever and something bad happens, your immediate reaction is to get up and just prove that you can still do it. Yeah. And I think that's like maybe a bad knee jerk reaction sometimes because you don't, you got to settle. And is that well, why you it went to Germany and ended up back there is kind of like a well, so I, I had a conversation with the the neurologist and with the tbi doc and i can't remember what her actual field was but mm-hmm. she had just run the tbi and so she had asked the question she's like so she's typing into her computer and then she stops somebody's like do you want to go back and i was like absolutely she's like off the record no joke tell me i feel and i was like are like can i trust her like i'm yeah. not like can i yeah. and at this point i knew that she had to sign my waiver to go back had to mm-hmm. like she had to clear me for duty and so i was like i'll be honest i'm not 100 percent. i'm not good but if i don't go back i'll be worse like i will if you send me to walter reed because that's was her initial yeah. recommendation because you know we had talked about the symptoms i had failed the you know the clicky test because i had taken the baseline and then taken the next <laughs> failed one failed the clicky test yeah the and then all means. those like memory stuff you know she's yeah. like because you take all that baseline before yeah. you deploy and so she's like yeah you're you have a brain injury <laughs> yeah yeah and it shows here yeah. on the paper yeah, yeah it's like we're not like you had the headaches you had this you know i'm reading the reports from your medics like you couldn't find words in common phrases Mm -hmm. you know or and then you couldn't find any words that were not in common phrases like you know like as they would go and i was like okay and so i was like honestly check this out um if you don't send me back i'll be a wreck i'm not good but i promise whatever protocol you put me on i won't leave the outstation i won't do Mm -hmm. anything like I will do whatever you say and everything. She's like, honestly, like your baseline, but like it's, it's hit or miss. But if you want to go back, I do. Her husband was from Ranger Battalion. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. And she knows like sometimes it's worse to cocoon instead of just let him. So she's like, all Uh right, I'm talking with your medic. He, you know, through his doctor fields, he got like the Northwestern protocol or something. I can't Mm -hmm. remember what's like call collegiate sport, you know, doctor he was in with, but he got like a sweet, like very 
six week regiment. Like I said, mm-hmm. like he would monitor my heart. Yeah. I would take a test three times a day kind mm-hmm. of deal Two, I think towards the end. And she convinced me, but like, um, and I told my wife this later, she's like, you had the opportunity to come back and you didn't. And I was like, sweetie, like I couldn't have not gone back. I couldn't have lived with myself or looked in the mirror because of that. Mm. I don't know if it's healthy or not. I honestly don't. I just know that that was me and I couldn't, if they would have sent me to Walter Reed or if I would have got redeployed back to Utah and mm-hmm. I know my team was on the ground, I would have been a wreck. And so I did appreciate the fact that she let me go back mm-hmm. even though she didn't want to, per se. <sighs> yeah, I, I understand absolutely the desire to like, even if, okay, I'll, I got the six week thing that I got to do, but at least I'm around my guys. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, sheltered somewhere yeah. um, while they are still exposed to this risk, which yeah, got to me. Yeah. And like we had yeah. manned the wall like four times because we had received intelligence, like they were heading our way. And like, we got like started calling in whatever air assets we could and everything. And like, none of them came to fruition, but like that was fresh. And like four times we were on the wall. And again, like we're talking like 15 Americans and like, depending on who was at the base, a couple hundred Africans. And they had like the African side and the U S side. And like, we were in like the middle of, and so in my mind, I'm thinking like those four times we went to the wall, this IED attack, my Mm -hmm. buddy had received indirect fire at his outstation. And I was just like, I absolutely cannot live with myself. If If I'm not there to try. Yeah. Yeah. Be of use if something like that happens. Yeah, Yeah, totally. And I think that's, and that's in grand and I don't, and that's not, I think that's ingrained into kind of every, you know, anybody that's part of a team. It's not romanticized because of the military. I think that would be anybody. Like, I'm sure, like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a jazz fan. I'm sure Donovan Mitchell sitting out game one of the last playoff series, like, that probably tore him up at the same level it tore me up kind of deal, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's just human nature when you're in that. I know you guys love the word tribe, you know, but whatever entity. Sure. Yeah, whatever. I mean, there is obviously something there. Yeah. Um, and then, so you're going through the protocol and you're back in Africa. So you are back. I'm back. And I'm then going you notice these flashbacks. That yeah. You notice that something's different. Yeah. So then the flashbacks are happening during the six week protocol. And I tell my medic, he's like, yeah, I probably have to. I was like, I think the right thing to do is just keep living them. Because like, again, like my distance running, like my long cycling races, whatever, like I never went to my happy place. I felt like the happy place abandoned you. But if you just embraced it and just let it pass through you, like that was always the best way to deal with, you know, tiredness, fatigue, injury, whatever the case may be. So I was like, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And I just let it. So it went from like long periods to shorter periods. Um, and then we got the approval to start going back out. And so of course we try to plan the first thing, like as close as we can get to ISIS country. Mm. And I don't remember how I got us out the wire, but or how me and my team started, did, but we found something <laughs> that needed, and we knew that we were going to ISIS country, like, yep. And I told my team, sorry, and I, again, this is one of those, I don't know if it was the right thing. All three of us, we got a new truck, because obviously ours was completely smashed. <laughs> so the trucks we got from the other team were like Greek gods, so like we got blown up in Hades, which I thought was hilarious. And then... <laughs> My FBI guy decided we needed every SF team names their trucks differently. Some will choose like Disney princesses and stuff like yeah. Anastasia and whatever. So we, Anastasia. for whatever reason, it's <laughs> like a safe word. <laughs> well, they'd be like, anyway, just every SF team names them different. I, I'm, I'd have to talk to Trevor if they do the same, but I'm sure it's similar. It just seems like the right thing to do. We decided to go with illicit drugs because that just also nice. made sense, right? So the FBI guy, obviously, you know, he was rolling um, in ecstasy. Well, oh no, his <laughs> special K. <laughs> Let me tell you, you got, again, we'll go down this journey. Yeah. The reason why it's special K is we were doing like we, when we first got there, we were practicing everything, practicing going to the wall, practicing getting our security up, practicing a mass cal, a mass casualty. Event. Yeah. 
So our medic, like this FBI dude, right? So he really likes Special K. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, and he's like the most down to earth Mormon. Like you have, like he is stone it's cold. It's always them. <laughs> it's always them. So this is the funny part. So he's the the mock casualty, right? Yeah. So he gets all the way back to our aid station. The medic turns to his junior, the junior weapons guy, and says, "Hey, draw like." <laughs> I don't know, we'll say five mils of, of ketamine, right? And usually what we would do is we'd pull this, we'd pull the drug out, put it next to the saline, yeah. pull the saline so at least we can go through the motions, right? Yeah. For whatever reason, the junior weapons guy didn't get the memo to draw the saline and drew the K. And now he, so then like, again, my, my weapons dude doesn't know anything's going on. He's just getting shot with something. And he's like, he tells the story of like his feet got big. He looked at our, our engineer and like his eyes started popping out. You know, like some other stuff yeah. started happening, right? Because think about this. Whenever you take an illicit drug, you're anticipating a reaction, right? Yeah. Not or since they, illicit, any drug. Yeah. Any mind-altering substance, we could call it, right? Yeah. He had no idea. He thought he was yeah. getting saline. So then he's going through a K-trip. He K-holed him. Yes. And thought he it was gave, <laughs> He gave him enough. He gave him like twice like the normal yeah. dosage, right? Because we were like the scenario was like a double amputee or something. He's like, right. yeah, we need to get the student in a K-hole. So then – the rest of the trip, obviously, we're like, oh, dude, the FBI guy, like, Special K. Yeah. Like, we're laughing pretty hard, <laughs> yeah, right? So then, obviously, I'm when he guessed. named his truck, it was Special K because yeah. he yeah. was the, the TC, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the dude in there. Um, this is you guys all medics me. love that yeah. fucking <laughs> so that special my, relationship with ketamine. Yeah, so then he'd run – so the senior weapons guy would run point, right, because mm-hmm. he was a senior tactician. He'd usually draw the route out, so it made sense for him to be in the front truck. I'd be in the second. I'll tell you my name in a second. Team sergeant, who's the most, you know, veteran, and he had the medic with him. He was in the trail. So of course, Bam Bam, because it's the king of all drugs. Like you know, that was that was his. Um, my guys named my truck for me. I didn't have a vote in this. I just walked out, and it was named Addy. Because you guys have probably not noticed that I might have a little bit of ADHD. That obviously, no. like, yeah, squirrel. I hear it's debilitating. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen from my squirrel. text message. Like, wow, Derek just sent five text messages in ten seconds. This is so. My guys named my truck Addy, right? So. Yeah. It was pretty funny. So we got blown up in Hades and then Addy kind of came around. So now (laughs) it got saved by Addy. Yeah. So then we do the, so my team starts lining everybody up and he puts truck one, same truck one. He gets to my truck. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, you got to put us all back together. Um, The EOD tech couldn't go back out because his TBI was too much. Like he just couldn't make it back to baseline. 20 years old, not as fit as everybody else. And Mm. I didn't realize this, but your brain actually doesn't mature until like your late 20s. 25 prefrontal cortex yeah so the doc basically because i had asked her because she was like hey you and your charlie like he can go back you guys like i i can assume rest like this dude and this dude cannot yet he might go Mm -hmm. back he probably won't if he does go back he needs to stay in like on a real base not your base so eod guy (laughs) didn't go back with us unfortunately he just had too much he was closest to the blast he was the he also wasn't and she did say like you guys are super fit her words not mine right um and he was a little he was a typical Less. millennial. He was skinny fat. It's just, yeah. we'll call it a spade a spade. So um, we had a better recovery as well because we were, you know, all yeah. in our early 30s and more fit. And he was. Yeah. I don't yeah. think any of that stuff is surprising. No. Like age, demographic, everything. Start, uh, uh, man, the to get, he's 20 and to get hit. 20, like yeah, not 21, like 20. Yeah. Yeah. Brain isn't exactly. Not quite there. Yeah. So he stayed. So then we put the truck. So the guy that was in the back is now driving. And again, he's, he can do it. He's amazing. I wish he lived here so I could bring him by the space because mm-hmm. he's such so a good dude. So you're like 12 man team down two guys at this point. Or yeah, we were. Did, 
So when we left, our team was combat ineffective and they couldn't leave the wire until okay. we came back. Mm-hmm. And my okay. team started like, we're very territorial. Like he would not take anybody. Yeah. One, because he wasn't going to roll out the wire with them. And two, he's like, no, we can we can maintain our base security without them. We don't want anybody else on our, because it's, yeah. it's like anything else for territory. No, I do get it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. But it yeah. still was nerve wracking because I was medevaced. It was two weeks, like this whole TBI protocol that I was gone. And so for those two weeks, I was a, like, we had like WhatsApp or Signal. I can't remember which one we were using at the time. And so like, I was like, if you guys go to the wall or if you, anything happens, like, like with Team Storm, I was like, you have to tell me, bro. Like, it'll be worse if I find out from somebody else. So we like made a bro pack. He's like, I will tell you if anything kinetic happens, but probably not so yeah the team's down we're gone team's combat ineffective at that point we get back the general's still super unhappy <laughs> um for lots of reasons i shouldn't talk about um but we hung around for a few more weeks and then i got through my six week and now we're back out the wire right so then my team starting gets to addy what do you want to do so now dude in the back is now driving um mm-hmm. same dude is gunning because um, it he was actually too tall to drive he couldn't mm-hmm fit but he could fit in the back and then i think it was just and actually it was just the three of us in that truck because now we're down the eod guy which we didn't need because he was an add-on so we were actually we rolled in 14 okay um because we had two eod techs because we needed them and then a bunch of africans depending on the mission and that the good thing is all three of us were in the vehicle and this was about the only time we talked about the blast really like really talked about it because like every time we rolled over like a culvert or like we would take lead to take the high ground like we were all and we didn't tell anybody this. This was mm-hmm. within the truck until afterwards. Like I told my team, sergeant told everyone. Like, yeah, pretty much. Team and I was like, dude, I'll be honest. Like that entire, it was like an eight-hour patrol. I was like, I was a wreck for the entire time. Oh yeah. But we had to like, again, the fear Hold of the failing was hand. more so. It was more important than anything else. So we and we wanted like we had to get back out and try to fight the guys that got us. Mm-hmm. So, so we got out. We had a few more kind of big long missions like that. And like obviously like you know general adaptation happened and it went down. Um, we actually got our stu- truck like super stuck in the mud and like in a combat zone, you just call a wrecker or you'd mm-hmm. get like some lift asset. Well, this is Africa. So like we spent two days digging this truck out of the mud. No shit. Yeah. Like when I say like with hand shovels, digging down to the bedrock because yeah. of all the mud and we had to dam up the water and the Africans helped us out and everything. And like, you know, there was at some point a report that like ISIS was going to move on us and we were like, Oh, please let them. Because we had <laughs> at this point like I'm really tired of shoveling. I could do with it. It wasn't even that. It's just we had the air, the two assets we wanted in the air. Mm-hmm. We had, and then the Africans plussed us up with some additional like uh, dishkas and PKMs. So like we had like we were on lock, and like we knew how they fought and how like roughly what their composition was. We mm-hmm. were like, so of course like the commanders and so like in Africa, you your command your next levels with you, but the next hires in Germany. And uh, I, I was told that Germany was just like, they thought we got it stuck on purpose because oh, right. we wanted to look for a gunfight. <laughs> so another story on this tangent. So then that medic, super great dude, um, the that, doctor. But that's one. never happened. No, before. that would never right? happen. Never. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I've He's never just done like a key very leader engagement in a hostile village yeah. ever before. <laughs> Not once. Sometimes you have to outsmart higher. So as this much as this, this fellow in Germany is a really active, overactive oh, imagination. That's what you're. You, he did not like me. Come to find out, yeah, mm. yeah, he didn't. He wasn't a fan of me. Um, nice on my face, but I come to find out he was not a fan of mine. Down from another captain that had <laughs> served under him and was like, he's like, yeah, bro, you need to like do everything right with him because he's ready to like. I was like, oh dang. Luckily, my next higher commander, he and I were great. Like. We had had some significant emotional events throughout this deployment together, so he knew that like we had a bond, we were good. Yeah. 
So we're in this, we'll call it a patrol base, trying, you know, after day one of digging this giant, and we got two trucks stuck actually because we tried to pull it out with the other one, it got stuck, of course. <laughs> so now we have these two huge 40,000 pound trucks in the middle of Africa. So then all of a sudden, like, so, you know, it's called the medic Delta one. He's like, hey, this is Delta one. Like, you guys should come over to my side. We're like, okay, cruise over there. Giraffes walking through our patrol base. And I was like, <laughs> Of course. Like, I'm in Africa. I'm in Nods. It's the middle of the yeah. night. And, of course, a giraffe's going to walk through our patrol. It's like, yeah. of course. And that was, like, super surreal. Because we're like, we got the report that ISIS wants to come ball us up. Yeah. So we're Am I K-hold right now? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I better check my yeah. size of my feet. Yeah, where's my medic at? <laughs> yeah, completely. So we go on a bunch of stuff. Like, um, interesting with the French and with us is ISIS and Al-Qaeda would never hit the, the hitters, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So the French commandos definitely rolled in certain vehicles and had a certain posture. Yeah. Obviously, our big trucks were the only ones in the area. Yeah. If it was French convoy or Africans by themselves, they'd attack them all day long. But, like, we would intentionally get as close as we could trying to, like, draw them out, and yeah. they would never sure. – they avoided us. Like, if they were doing something and we came into the area, they yeah. would leave, yeah. actually, which really frustrated us because we just wanted, like, to Fire get our fire. pound of flesh because yeah. of what they did to us. Yeah, yeah. But – it would have taken many more U.S. assets and a lot more permissions to go even deeper into the other countries that were surrounding us and into, like, the yeah. ISIS-held territory. So that was that was the unfortunate part. Like, in Iraq and Afghanistan, like, it was back and forth yeah. constantly, so it wasn't a big deal. Like, I, mean, I shouldn't say that. It's still a big deal. But that was a frustrating piece about Africa is we knew roughly where they were. We all had the skill set to go do it, but our country wasn't right, yeah, at yeah, a yeah. point. So that was kind of frustrating. Okay, so now we're done with all that. So then I get home, and I'd seen enough dudes with PTSD from the infantry, from SF, from my time. You know, I'd been in the Army a little while at this point and a couple deployments down the road. And I knew that everyone that had PTSD swore they didn't have PTSD. And they're like, no, no, I, I drink a fifth to go to bed every night just because that's normal and natural. Dude, I like, love Jim Beam. Yeah. Like, no, I just really – yeah. <laughs> so I told my wife, um, and I was – very upfront with her. I was like, I think I'm okay, but you have to tell me like, if I'm not on baseline, like tell me, um, they like, they say my short term memory may or may not come back. Um, I found out I have motion sickness now that I've never had before. Mm. Um, which is hilarious. Cause I threw up in the back of a UH 60 once before I knew that I had it. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was like, what is this weird feeling? Oh. And I'm like this like SF guy in the back of like, uh, did you just throw up in our helicopter? Uh, totally. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Um, it's, it's, but it's I kind of cool. like put, so I asked the TBI doc, I was like, wait a minute, like motion sickness. I was like, my vertigo is still fine. Like my balance is still great. They're like, yeah, it's, it's it'll, this was the phrase he said, it's either going to go away in six months or stay with you the rest of your life. <laughs> and oh, by the way, in, what day is it? it'll be two years and five days that I got blown up and I still have motion sickness from like being in the back of a car or like approach landing for, um, you know, like a big airline mm-hmm. still gets so like, I got to figure that out. And then helicopters are. I actually have to take like drama me now to like stay. Oh no shit. Yeah. So, so a lasting effect. So I told my wife I had those things. I was yeah. like, Hey babe, I got these things, but if I'm not there, let me know. She's like, okay. And so I got back in October. Um, we went on a trip to New Zealand. That was like her celebration of me being alive. You know, mm-hmm. like let's go. We took the kid, did a lot of backpacking stuff. There was a couple moments where if I thought my son was in, getting taken care of or was in any type of like not even dan- I thought it was danger come to find out it wasn't but she just said like I was super twitchy and I was super protective of Bodie and probably some of us I should have brought up one of the missions that we did up north um, we were trying to just build white space and get the government to go out a little further and get these NGOs to go out so we went to this village that was just racked with malaria 
and like 40 dying kids of malaria was probably the heaviest day of my life. Mm. And my son at this point is like 16 months old. So they're the exact same size. And like, so now I'm thinking like my son almost lost his dad. And this is, I think a little bit more of the PTSD probably started kicking off. And then that super heavy day. And then at one point we lost 50, you know, Africans in one day. So that was kind of a heavy day. Another event where they, 18 of them got injured and we treated like 16 of them. And like we were just putting dudes on the burn trying to save their lives. So a couple of real heavy days that mm-hmm. kind of all compounded. And when I came home, I was just overly protective. And then my wife's always like, yeah, I'm that dude, you know, make fun of me if you want. Like I always have to have a gun on me or near me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the gym is the only time. And then I know right where it's at and how long it's going to take me to get to it kind of thing. I mean, obviously in your gym, I usually bring my backpack in for a reason. It's yeah. weird. Um, you don't need to. There's plenty of bags. Just, <laughs> just start looking around for black bags. Look close in the enough, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, always want to see the door. So I did have some um, hypervigilance. That, yeah. But that's through the training, right? Because like all of the operations and training, like there was a baseline for that, which is fine. No big deal. Previous deployments, other traumatic events probably. And she's like, yeah, you just have like a short switch. Like she and I got into a massive fight, which she and I rarely fight. And like, I was like super upset at her. And then like the next day she's like, you, like, I have never seen you that mad ever. And she's like, you need to go talk to somebody. And I was like, no, it's not there. And so we came back and it was like, we went just before Christmas or just after Christmas came back. And then the ski season kicked off, woke up a couple of nights in the middle of the night. And I'm like, I'm just going to go boot pack the Waikua by myself on like a level, like a two trending three day, because I can't sleep right now. And this makes me feel happy. Um, my ski partners were like, you did that solo this month yeah yeah it was it was yeah the abby report was way off right and then it's like yeah i got away with it i'd bounce objectives off friends and they're like all right no i'm not going there with you like no absolutely not like we're not doing that today yeah Yeah. well and everyone i ski with is a 19th which is cool too because like so then we all like view and risk and so like we've had some great days together um really good days but (laughs) like but they were uh yeah they were but they would tell me like no we're not doing that objective today like you're you're not you're off or whatever. Um, so that's when it was kind of like, okay. So the, basically things are lining up I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not okay. Fine. I'll go talk to somebody. So my wife, she's like, let's do an intro. Like there's this marriage counselor that's recommended, whatever. Let's go talk to her. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's go talk to her. And so this is where, and we're going through like, you know, I'm going through the end, the, the nonprofit, not you guys, the, yeah. you know, the NGO side. So I, so the army doesn't know about this. Because something she probably said on the podcast um, that only like service members probably know is every time you come back from a trip, you talk to a shrink, psych, yeah. whatever you want to call it. They don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They've seen 100 people before you. Mm-hmm. You feel like about yeah. exactly zero and they feel exactly zero towards you, right? So like, and then they have the dumbest questions like, have you tried to harm yourself or others within the last 90 days? Do like, you not know what my job was? Yeah, like, <laughs> and so you check yes and like uh, threats of violence or killing. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, who? And I'm like, the enemy? That was yeah, trying yeah, to just kill me, <laughs> but that just showed like their incompetence. It's yeah, like, well, yeah, I'm not going to oh, yeah. bear my soul to this asshole. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, not at all. So we went the non-military route is where that kind of ended up. And so we walk in and you know, she's like this sweet, nice, like Polynesian lady, like super, like you, you just felt like a really quick thing. And so needless to say, I didn't want to go. I was doing it cause my wife was basically like, I'm going to, yeah, you 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 should. I recommend I her. Right. She didn't tell me at the time, but she was ready to leave me. She's like, "You're not functioning anymore." That's how. About, like, even though I say like we got in a couple fights here sure. and there, like there were other things. Yeah. So like one day I was like, "I need to go skiing." And she's like, "No, like you got to take care of our kid. I've got to go to work, whatever." And I'm like, "I'm leaving," and I just left. And I went and did a 
the conditions were right. I was with a friend and I thought that was more important. And I really needed that. And we'll get into why I think, or why the doc thinks. So like we go in to talk to this therapist. She's seen a lot of military, a lot mm-hmm. of law enforcement, you know, cause the channels we went, she was there and she's like, she kind of like up downs me kind of from the side. And I'm thinking we're in workout clothes, got a compact 1911. It's my little gun. I've got, you know, a Glock 45. I usually carry if I'm wearing like a jacket or, mm-hmm. you know, something bigger. So I've got this, you know, small, you know, pistol on me. And she's like, well, where's your gun? And I was like, excuse me. Cause there's a do not, you yeah. know, no weapons authorized in this area. And I was, you know, playing it cool. Like, Oh, what are you talking about? She's like, no, really? Like, are you carrying a gun right now? I was like, yeah, it's on my hip. She's like, Oh, good job. I can't find it. I'm actually more concerned when guys like you are stopped carrying because to me, that's an indicator now. Like I can't, I can't trust myself to be around this. Yes. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either suicidal ideation or just, yeah. you feel like you're so far gone or you're not. You don't trust normal. yourself. Yeah. Right? You don't trust yourself. She's like, so that tells me something. I was like, okay, I don't hate her. Like this yeah, is, we, she knows we yeah. can go there. Stuff. And then my, she's like, why are you guys here? I was like, oh, cause my wife wanted to come talk. You know, we've, we've had, you know, I just got back from deployment. I've had a few before, you know? And then of course she just turns right to my wife and she's like, why are you here? And my wife just, but that was also yeah. a good indicator to me cause I didn't even realize how bad it was hurting my wife, how bad yeah. my hypervigilance, me waking up in the night and my like have to go find something risk, something to kind of alleviate what was going on in my head. And I was still having the flashbacks from time to time. And I'd tell her about those, but I went like bird walker and tell her like, what it was about. So, you know, she's like, well, let, let me, and this was just some fun little facts. She was like, so let me guess your husband falls asleep in like three seconds from the time he hits the pillow. She's like, it's so annoying. <laughs> like I'll be awake for like <laughs> 10 minutes and he'll be snoring yeah. like within. And she's like, it's because, you know, and she talks about like between the deployments and his training, everything like his cortisol, like normal here, Derek's is way up here. And so the second he does allow himself to rest, he's gone. He's like, so he probably does that. She's like, how are you sleeping? I was like, I generally sleep good. She's like, okay, like, do you work out a little bit? My wife starts laughing. She's like, if he doesn't do two workouts a day, he's angry and ornery. And like, I'd come home from work. She's like, just go for a bike ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she, and I, you know, it's a wife, you know, that maternal instinct, like she knew, like, you're not in a good place. Go get on your, you know, road bike, mountain bike, whatever you need to do, grab the dog, <laughs> you know, or go ski, whatever. And she's like, yeah, Derek, like, no, he needs to work out twice or he's unhappy. And then if he doesn't, then he doesn't sleep. And then he's also happy. And then she's like, he actually, and I, I don't keep track sleep. That makes me unhappy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and some other thing I didn't, again, because of the PTSD, like because of all my army training, I've never, if I wake up in the night, I don't really worry about it. The amount of times I've had to wake up for a guard shift or because of a fire, like, you know, our base got attacked a few times. Like, Oh, there's gun shooting. I should probably get my body armor on. Like it happens. Right. Like, so it, it almost like desensitized me, but I was never keeping track when I'm home. We'll call it peacetime how many times I was waking up in the night and not going back to sleep mm-hmm. or whatever, but my wife was paying attention to it cause that's not normal. She didn't see this prior to this deployment. Right. And so, you know, she's like, yeah, this is, you know, again, the cortisol, the hypervigilance, you know, the, the angry outburst, everything like the things I didn't have that some, you know, people do, you know, uh, suicidal ideation was never a thing for me, mm-hmm. you know, cause I had a son and a wife I needed to, to take care of them. You know, there's like nine lists and she lists like three things I had. I don't remember them all. The hypervigilance was the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And actually I think it was risk taking was the other one, but like she, so I was like, yeah, I like to ski with my friends. And of course she turns to my wife. She's like, what does that mean? And then she would tell her like the objectives, you know, like triangle cool off for the first time this year to see if it's open, you know, we're going to go, you know, she's like, when Derek says he goes skiing, it's like, he's up at four in the morning and he's, you know, trying to be the first one on superior or whatever, and then go to work kind of deal. So she's like, okay. And then this is where she broke it down. Like the reason he's doing that is because his 
cortisol, his baseline is so high, he needs to spike it in order to drop it so that he can relax. Mm -hmm. She's like, how happy is he when he comes back? She's like, oh, he's great. But he has to be gone for six hours to get that. She's like, right now he has to just accept it. And I was like, come here. Like, <laughs> I like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yes, yeah, it was a couple I mean, of other, I feel like eight hours would be, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd really, feel so much better. Yeah. Actually. She be, validated that requirement in my yeah, life. Yeah. And then the other thing she told my wife that, you know, like, you know, because of Derek, whatever his personality, like you need to tell him your expectations or he won't meet them. So if you want something for your birthday or anniversary mm -hmm. or celebration, you have to tell him and you can't get mad at him if he doesn't meet your expectation, if you don't tell and so like, and this is what I'm telling people like, hey, therapy, like sometimes it works. So then she's like, okay, Derek, check this out. You have, actually she didn't say PTSD the first time. She said, yeah, we should probably talk more. Like you've got some things there. She's like, there's this thing called EMDR, eye movement, um, desensitization and reprocessing. Hmm. Um, she's like, read this book, The Body Keeps Score um, by it's a Dr. Vander Kolk, I believe. Um, basically talks about it and you know, you guys are, we're on this journey together. So long story short, how I interpret it and how I took EMDR is your brain experiences something and normally like we process it, right? Mm -hmm. And then we encode it and then we store it and then we bring it back up, right? Mm -hmm. So it goes through this whole process of like going potentially from like the brainstem area into the limbic, into the frontal mm -hmm. cortex, everything. Traumatic events sometimes will get it stuck or traumatic events might yeah. have other memories that'll get stuck. And sometimes the trauma will do that. So she's like, I think what happened is your blast this moment where you saw these 40, you know, dying kids. Cause she asked me like, were there some other upsetting days on your mm -hmm. last trip? So I told her about that one, you know, the days that, you know, we had to treat like 16, you know, Africans had gotten messed up and, you know, we had to try to save their lives. So we had talked about that. She's like, Hey, read this book too much thing. Cause I told her at some point, I'm not going to do any pills. Cause unfortunately through friends and family, I've never seen like the drug thing work. It works for some people. Some people do have a chemical imbalance. Like, I don't think that's me. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't agree. You're, Yours is an acute, mm -hmm. like we can go to certain events that happened that probably caused your, you know, cortisol levels to go through the roof and stay there. So I read this book. Um, it was really amazing. Um, you know, you can get into the real, like a lot of evidence that shows that it works. Mm -hmm. And then kind of for those listening, what it is, is, you know, you can do it a couple ways. You can do it. Basically, you're just replicating REM sleep is the best mm -hmm. way. And the doctor that found out she was doing this, so she was told she had. Yep. Okay she had told that she had like a terminal illness mm -hmm. and she rem like that day was very upsetting to her. And then she was walking down. What was her name? Um, Cynthia. But it starts with the B, doesn't it? I, I thought her first name was Cynthia. Maybe her last name's with a B. Yeah. I mean, last name with a B, but go ahead. So she's walking down a path, you know, like at some park and like, she's looking from side to side for whatever reason on this path back and forth. And all of a sudden she realizes that just that eye movement back and forth, like we have in REM sleep is yeah. bringing up this memory and everything else. And now she's able to work through it because she was like very much into meditation and like just mm. crazy, like, you know, there's various, you know, divine intervention, we'll call it for whatever mm -hmm. reason, this exact woman had this exact experience that caused her to flick her eyes back and forth, you know, right place, right time. So we found out like the eyes going back and forth. So for mine, I would, she would have me look at two different dots and then I'd have little buzzers in my hand and you can do it with or without the buzzers. Shapiro. What's wrong? Cynthia Shapiro? Was, yeah, I thought it was a B for some reason. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, Francine Shapiro. Way off on my Cynthia. Yeah, same. We're going to call it TBI, though. That's what I blame them. I don't have the excuse. I'm just <laughs> dumb. <laughs> so that's not true. Like the amount of times I've listened to the podcast, and I'm just like, how does Michael know that? Like, I don't. Where does the. Like, I, I'm probably bullshitting most of the time. I appreciate the, it. The, I, this, um, her, her thing is kind of interesting because I think. Um, 
obviously it works. Like you've mm-hmm. had a lot of success with it. How long before you realize that, like, I don't know, maybe the depth or like what's the time wise between walking into this therapist and then realizing like, oh shit. Six then, months. Okay. It took that long. Uh, because the steps and, and there's very, I mean, obviously like it's voodoo sure. magic. So there's, yeah. you don't have to like, it's not, a, it's exact science, but it's not. So we had to, a couple of weeks, we just had to inventory, you know, the things and even how she worded stuff. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, what was your hardest trauma day? She's like, what were the days that made you feel the most, you know, yeah. X, Y, or Z. And then she would ask very specific questions. Like, what did you feel that day? What were the emotions? What were the physical sensations? And we'd list those things and she'd write them down. And then she'd be like, what was the, uh, I can't remember what she actually said. Cause I was like, what do you mean? She's like, what was your hot wash AR comment to yourself? I was like, cause again, she'd work with yeah. military for, like, Oh, okay. Like I, I can't even keep myself or my team safe, you know, for the blast. We'll say like, mm. that was my self defeating thought, yeah, yeah. um, you know, that I had. And so that took a couple of weeks and then we started doing it. And like the, the part where, you know, and I, my stepbrother's in counseling, like that's what he's getting his graduate degree mm. in. And I told him, I was like, the two things that really resonated with her, she said, what we're going to try to do is all these memories is they're like a living video that you can feel. We're going to try to turn them into a Polaroid that's on the wall. And so when I try to tell people my experience, like the blast, mm-hmm. the 40 babies, the 16 dudes. And then like, we talked about like the first ID ever rolled up on in Baghdad where a partner force got hit and the dude like concussion puking, like, you know, mm-hmm. occipital lobe was completely shattered. And like, we're trying to like get him like, to the cat, like to the hospital as fast as we can. Like we went all the way back to my first deployment and then to my Afghanistan deployment, all the crap that yeah. I saw there. And then just other random, there was like one other time, like <laughs> I got back from my first deployment. I was on a road bike ride and you know, and this was backwoods, Louisiana, this dog runs out and gets hit, just totally smashed right in front of me. And like, That's you see this little so girl nice. running out to this dog. Right. And like, I see the girl running to her dog and I bawled and yeah. I don't cry. Like my wife's seen me cry maybe three times. But I think, it, and she, we talked about it. She's like, and I told her that experience. And she's like, yeah, like you had basically boxed up all your emotions and then let it out there. And let it out there. She's like, what did you do when came back from Afghanistan? And I lost a soldier like right before I left. And I was like, went on a two month bender. And she's like, also a technique, yep. not the one we recommend. And like, but yeah, if that's what you did, you know, like that's how you dealt with it in the past. But the problem <sighs> is you never dealt with these things truly. And then Africa kind of like overfilled your cup. And mm-hmm. that's when it kind of, that's where your wife's seeing like you're not good. Spill over the spillover was just too high. And then all that other stuff maybe on its own would have been, been fine. any, yeah. And you'd come back. Oh, you know, I have no symptoms. Like uh, people coming back from the military. Why do they have PTSD? I went on, you know, these two excursions. I saw bad shit. I'm totally yeah. fine. But then you have like a convergence or an event horizon kind of deal. Yeah. And I think a little bit of mine had to do with the fact that like I had a newborn son mm-hmm. and I almost like, I think he was going to grow up without, a dad. So I was super sad. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that had a little bit to do with it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was everything that compounded. It was just there. So start to finish six months, you know, what was crazy is when we processed the first time we processed the blast is sitting in her office in Salt Lake, the tingleness on mm-hmm. my feet, every, the pressure, like the exact spot on my neck that is totally fine. She like, having you tap through this, uh, doing the, yeah. mm-hmm. I actually have the, the paddles in my hand for mm-hmm. all this, but like, as we're doing the rapid piece, I can feel everything. Yeah. And then she's reading me back everything that I felt and everything like that's there. So like when we go through it, like it is, you feel like you're right back in the moment, but you're processing it, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, the, yeah. that's yeah. the reprocessing piece. Yeah. 
And are you, are, is there sort of a, a mouse or a cursor that you're following with your? She just had lights in her office. So okay. I would just look from red to blue, red to blue. Yeah. Um, we Got actually, it. because of COVID, we actually had to go virtual with it. And instead of having the paddles, I would just pick a room in the house and I would just look between. Oh. But all it takes is that it's yeah, not even looking. rapid eye moment. Yeah. It's just yeah. the rapid eye. But even, so she would give me the pace. And so we'd start slow. She'd mm-hmm. tell me the scenario. I'd think back to it. We'd start getting faster. She'd tell me the details that I told her. And then I have like, no shit felt it. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you, like, I was right back to that first, like, blast, mm-hmm. that first, like, um, flashback that I had in that, you know, shower trailer. Like, it was right there, you know, in her office in Salt Lake. Like, that's where, like, I call it voodoo magic because, mm-hmm. like, it wow. brought me right back to the moment. Wow. And then, like, we put an arbitrary score against it. And, like, the goal is just to bring that down. She's like, think of, like, a two or a three for you as, like, a picture and this living video that you talk about. You know, and so, like, when I tell people about my trauma, because one thing I learned, like, the body keeps score is they did use Vietnam vets and, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, like, sexually abused women Mm -hmm. because both of those had, you know, and this isn't for everyone, but for my particular trauma, it worked. For other people, it can. But if it's a specific moment that you do remember that's still in, you know, it's it's that emotional prefrontal cortex yeah. kind of spot instead of and in the limbic system instead of where it needs to really be stored. Yeah, it's like a, a stopgap measure where you like stop and so you replay it and then you stop and then you replay it. Exactly. So um, London, they, uh, Aaron got rear-ended uh, like a really bad accident a couple of years ago and London wouldn't get in the car. And she was eight or something and we took a like huge contusion on her head but nothing there was all the scans came back fine it was a couple of weeks later where then it started to get worse like she wouldn't even get into the car anymore so we, we know some I, friends God damn it this is pretty inconvenient it, it is because i'm like <laughs> ah, fuck it's trauma and it's this and it, you know you try to like be little listen it's just a car accident but she's fine everything's okay but you're like okay wait she doesn't know that like yeah. when you're when you're involved in looking at it from afar, it's easy to see where she's stopping. So she would get into the car and then she would flash back to the point of when the accident happened and she came to. Yeah. And so she would whenever uh, I guess it was she was in the back seat and the door would open. That's when she would flash back and she would get stuck. And that's why she couldn't come forward. So they did EMDR on her in in like a couple of sessions. It just like clarified. It just yeah. brought her through that point And then nothing well and I've, you know, I've talked to a few people about it and it's not pills Mm-mm. it's real it's non-invasive from what i could tell and like the other thing is the the therapist wasn't even trying to get me back to like she's like i don't want you to have no hypervigilance i no. just want it we just need to bring your baseline down so you can just chill and just be mm-hmm. like a husband and a father and you know yeah. a teammate and everything else like what are your goals in life and I'm you like, still oh. hear a noise and you're like what yeah. the fuck was that totally yeah and i'm still like again i still have guns sure. and you know close by and that'll probably stay with me the rest of my life that's fine sure. so six months is really what it so it did take some time yeah um again there was the therapist that i worked with was really great because she had worked with military and law enforcement mm-hmm. And so the verbiage was right. How she asked the questions was right. How she phrased things. Like if she says, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong with me. Here's my problem is that you got really lucky. Right? That's the problem. Agreed. And so that, what's that statement you said um, before about you know not being good enough or doing it until you can't get it wrong? Yeah. The system doesn't reflect that yet. And so you're, you're reliant on the therapist to be a good therapist, which means therapy in itself isn't up to par Mm -hmm. um and that's that's just kind of how it is i I think any subject you take like that is is going to be you know fitness is the same thing Mm -hmm. Um, one and i look at this and maybe this is kind of segue why i think like 
us having this podcast is kind of cool is so pretty much like a month or two after I was done is my first symposium. Right. And just like the random, like mm. I was in DC and we talked about it over email and I was going to come in and talk about DC. Cause that was kind mm. of DC part one, the, the Trump DC yeah, part, yeah, not, yeah, the, yeah. not the second yeah, one. Yeah. The second one, I, you know, you guys talked to tier and it was a little different experience for him than it was for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We can talk about that another day, but anyway, <laughs> through a random DC first is Lafayette, Lafayette Park, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, there I am, and you know, PBS thirty one's telling like the cops who's throwing rocks and who's just yelling, so that way they don't pepper ball the wrong person, and they're throwing fireworks and bricks at us, and it was a riot, literally, literally. literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was okay. It's a journey. Like that was an interesting thing. Um, what's interesting is everyone thought we were the bad guys and that's fine. Like perception is reality. All the protesters thought like us were the shields. If they got past us, if you're protecting the white house, there's a non-lethal layer and then there's a lethal layer. Sure, if yeah, they yeah. broke, like we, we motivated our soldiers that went with us. We took 200 from Utah to DC mm-hmm. and we're like, if you let them through, they're going to get shot. Not with a paintball gun. Yeah. yeah. Because they have, it's the white house. It's the president. We're not yeah. going to allow the white house to be overrun, to by be overrun. Yeah. It's just not. So like, again, they hated us. They, I sure. had some great conversations, honestly. Like I'd take my kid off and go talk to him because they'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, take my patches off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But like we'd have, I'd have a conversation. Oh, you were one of those ones without insignia that was there oh, that dude. they were concerned. Like, <laughs> so we <laughs> got there and they're like, you guys are national guardsmen, so like we're wearing group on our shoulders because that's our unit. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like President Trump sends Green Berets to protect him. It's like, no, we just happen to be the ones that were ready to go in time, and yeah. we're soldiers. So, and we're in the states. It's not like we're downrange. It's we're doing, called National Guard. Like when there's, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the other fun part that like, you know, the media covered a little bit. Like think if, about it like this. It's an autoimmune response. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and protesters are an inflammatory cytokine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do we want to go down this rabbit hole? Cause I tell you what, the vast majority of the protesters that were there were there for the right reason. They sure. were doing the right things. Yeah. When we saw the organized agitators show up, because my job is unconventional warfare, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like that's the umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. I was taking notes, not even kidding. I have a notebook of what I experienced and what got the reaction of yeah. the police that pulled us up, that then got the FBI. Like as things, as, and I just watched what the protesters did mm-hmm. because they they pulled us out of with one little action. They pulled us out of Lafayette Park because we were pretty safe inside. Not yeah. I shouldn't say safe. We had a better base inside Lafayette Park. But once they started doing other things that pulled us out, it was amazing at how little it was. And then once we were out, how much more vulnerable we were and so much more they could do. So like the mm-hmm. insurrectionist in my mind was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I don't know who's pulling the strings, but yeah. that's brilliant. I'm writing it down for my own insurgency manual because that <laughs> is Yeah, just amazing. as a tactics Yeah, because you have a bunch of like, the. this is the other funny part, like 200 of us went there was a very small number of Green Berets. It was the majority of our support guys because they were the ones that were available. Most of the teams were out actually doing stuff so we couldn't pull back. And I was off my team at this point, so Mm -hmm. I was like running the training detachment. And the Green Berets were like behind like all like the younger soldiers. And so we could just sit back and watch. And we're like, oh, look, the agitator. Oh, oh, see where he's going? Oh, watch Mm -hmm. this. And then like it turned from peaceful protests, which I could honestly care less about. Like, you want to do it? By all means. When you try to break down a fence, throw bricks and throw fireworks and like break mm-hmm. into the White House. Now, it's, I feel like that's a riot and there's going to be some violence on yeah. both sides. Well, My favorite it. part is this again, like there's some funny parts of this because we're going down this rabbit hole. 
the first one I thought was hilarious. After the first night, they got real sporty. This like twenty year old chick came up with a gallon of milk. I don't even know where she got it. Oh yeah, I do because of the tear gas. They mm. they throw that down. Yeah, I can't believe I just put that together. Like they breached the fence and she heaved it at us, right? And mm. we didn't know if it was like good, bad, maybe it was spoiled. So we all moved, right? Yeah. So she got pepper balled hard. Oh, like lit up. So then I see her on <laughs> CNN the next morning as I'm getting ready to go on shift, and mm. she's like, "I was just sitting there peacefully protesting." I was like, "Peaceful? You were you threw the water like, or pardon me, you threw the milk like I remember that." Yeah. Like that was a big listen here, bitch. Yeah, because like the rock throwers was harder to like identify faces because they were yeah. so far away. The fireworks were difficult because they literally shoot the mortar like sideways yeah. at us. But like she got so close to the fence, like I saw her throw the milk jug. Tough and she to goes throw like, eight ga- eight pounds. Yeah, you so know, she's like, like, I was pro. That was my first one. The next, so then it got a little less sporty that night. The next day, they were organizing a little bit more, and like I'm in the states, so like. I go out my running shorts. I take my shirt off. Like I had actually yeah. like had some road rash. Yeah. And so I show up to Lafayette park as a runner on this side of the fence to get like a little, like to see what's going on. So I was mm-hmm. like, like, Oh, what happened? Your mom was like, yeah, the other night in Lafayette park, they threw me to the ground. They're like, Oh, those assholes. Cause my hair's a little longer. Yeah, I had a tan yeah. cause it was like, I didn't yeah. look like a soldier. Right. Like, yeah, my face was shit, but like, that's not going to give me away in that crowd. Right. So I was able to go into the crowd and then I came back and told, you know, the Lieutenant yeah. Colonel I was working for, I was like, Hey, this was like an hour before we went on shift. I was like, Hey, this is where it looks like the peaceful people are. These guys, like it's a bunch of Jack dudes. I don't know if what they're doing. Maybe they're yeah. just having a party, but yeah. like I was able to go on a map and show all the chalk leaders, like yeah. exactly like what, but that was like, again, like I'm in the States. Yeah. It was just kind of like, I don't, it may sound terrible. Like it was more of a game than it was like, cause we're not that to hurt them. They might be there to hurt us, but I didn't really care. Like it was one of those like forfeiture of rights. The second I showed up. Oh, well, it's an interesting Pro, like we were just peacefully prost- protesting and you go that's last time I checked that's not why people show up in body armor right like there there's an inciting incident and whether it was you or not it's part of the thing that you're attached to and that that's where it gets hard like I agree with you that the protest and like this like vocalization of abuses and whatever it doesn't even matter what the subject is I, I 100% agree with that um, but then it turns into something else, right? Like well, that's the, yeah. that's the thing we don't know. And those first couple of days, like they were definitely like, and maybe it was just there. Maybe when I say agitators, who knows if there was another third party involved? I don't, I don't know. I really don't honestly care either. Yeah. yeah. What I did appreciate though, is the protesters that actually did want to get that message across, mm-hmm. you know, which was a powerful message. Like we were there for a week by day five and six, we were bored. Because yeah. they like anytime someone would throw something, they'd get after that person. Or anytime they right. try to rock the fence, like don't rock the fence, you know, because they found like when they would, it was kind of like somebody in there, like, again, this insurgency man, you were like, hey, like you're doing this all wrong because a nonviolent social protest is the most successful insurgency over the years mm, out of yes. any insurgency. So the second you go violent, you just drop to a 33% success rate. Right. And then off that 33%, you have to hit X, Y, and Z to be successful, which they right. weren't going to have. So which like, is organization. And <laughs> and that was one of those, like, you know, I wanted to, like, almost tell, like, you know, hey, protesters, like, if you want to really be successful, you can't even allow anybody to go violent because then if you're really – You have you're, to police yourself. Yeah, because yeah. if not, like, in the social movement theory that I've been taught, like, if you want the change, it's not changing. Your bubble's already there. You've mm-hmm. already, like, you're not going to convince the other side if you go violent. The second you yeah, do, yeah. like, every, like, we'll say, you know, deep south, you know, right wing Republicans going to be like, oh, yeah, they're all violent. No one's but been if, hit with a brick and been like, you know what? It is a good idea. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
So I got, <laughs> so where, sorry, that, that tangent was fun. No. You were just talking about how you came to the first symposium. And so then, then we, the first symposium was just <clears throat> after that, but we were basically, we were talking like through email. Cause I was like, mm. cause you guys had to had a podcast and I was like, actually I just got back from DC and I'd been, you know, so we had chatted and mm. then Keegan had just gotten to my unit. was like, Hey, like we think we can like make some things happen here. Like, do you want to send some dudes? And I was already trying to get to a symposium. And so he yeah. was like, yeah, coming down. So I came to the first symposium. Mm-hmm. And this is where, again, kind of like, you know, the physical training gave me a super tangible thing when I was downrange, you know. And, like, this is where the symposium and kind of what you guys are about is. So now I go to a symposium and it's like, okay, it's going to be like a cult thing. Maybe we'll sing Kumbaya. Like, this will be fun, you know, because I talk to. Because <laughs> you never fucking know yeah. when you come here. Well, that yeah. is true. There might be some. Some of that weird breathing shit that happens. Totally. <laughs> Some emotional outbursts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Based on the podcast, I yeah. knew that it was going to be a good thing. Yes. And off the social media stuff that you guys had posted, because I was like, that looks like some good on this conversation, but I wasn't expecting what happened. You know, so I came to, you know. <laughs> Neither did we. I don't know. <laughs> so Friday night's workout was awesome. It was great. And I was like, that was fun. You know, I got a fanboy with Mark a little bit through, you know. So that like, was the July. July yeah, that yeah. was like end of July. Uh-huh. Yeah. End of July. And like I had Watershed seen like. moment, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah. I knew that you were involved with Jim Jones and everything, but like just because of like the mm-hmm. 300 and kiss or kill, like I just knew. And then I was like, I knew Michael, but I didn't like know like as much about you. Right. Cause yeah, nobody what, does. It's a, <laughs> the, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> that, it, but it was amazing. And then like yeah. Keegan, obviously with like his military background and stuff, like we bonded pretty well too. And we had some, like, I had some just amazing conversations, posing him on Friday night after mm-hmm. the workout. And I was like, I'm so, yeah. that was awesome. Then the next morning, little workout, you know, mm-hmm. symposium style again. And then, like, we start talking. I can't remember now who did the first vulnerability. Like, we'll call it that because I don't know what else to yeah. use. But, like, the first time where they're like, hey, we're all here for, like, to get better. So let's talk about everything and not just the superficial fitness stuff, you know, if we call it that. And then it was like, hey, I've been. So then I basically, like, talk a little bit about, yeah, I came back from downrange. First time I ever went to therapy. For whatever reason, like, I felt motivated to tell my little story in that little group. Mm-hmm. And then you had followed up with like, this is how it should be like to the people that were new. Mm-hmm. It was me. And I think it was like maybe 16 people and like maybe four of us were new. Mm. And then me and the other dude from group that came with me, like we were both like looking at each other, like why the fuck are we not doing this at the team level? Yeah. Like, why why isn't there like, you know, you've got, you have your, your post mission hot wash, but then why isn't there something three weeks, four weeks, you know, whatever the timing is mm-hmm. that, that is like the emotional sort of lukewarm wash afterwards where like, all right, circle of trust, everybody were in the room, the cameras are off. No, yeah. like nothing leaves the room. Let's like dig in and, and, and keep ourselves healthy enough to to, to be trustworthy and reliable to do this work that we're assigned. Yeah. Well, and I just told you guys about how amazing these 12 men teams are, the SEAL mm-hmm. platoons, like, and not just special operations anywhere in the world, right? Like yeah. whatever group you're a part of and you're close to and you give a shit about. We're at, and this is going to sound a little conceited, I think, like we're at such, they spend so much money on us mm-hmm. and they're giving us these sensitive missions and the country is literally trusting me to do some wazoo shit in different countries that's been amazing. But not once have they ever taught me to ask my guys, like, hey, or, or even be vulnerable myself and be like, yeah, I'm the captain, so I need to be the rock. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the, the only officer on the team. Like, I can't show weakness. Me telling you that, like, I'm having flashbacks from a blast, that's not weakness. That's, no, it's not at all. That's human. But it's why just, am I not? I think the perception is that, um, and we look at this, so strategy-wise, think mm-hmm. about like this. So from a tactical point of view, if I point out the vulnerable spots of 
you know, whatever I'm defending, let's call it a base, right? And they go, ah, you know, here's where, here's where I think it's most susceptible. So here's where my attention is. Um, pointing that out and like being obvious about it actually makes that a fortification because now, now there's double think involved into it. And so the vulnerability as a human being is like a feeling person. We think like, oh man, if I, if I share this point where I'm like, I'm hypercritical or I am, um, I'm not confident here, here and here, you think that will be used against you. But it's, it's, it's literally like, it's bringing it out so it can't be used against you because it's so obvious, right? Ah, this is my problem. This is, this is where I'm most susceptible to error is my personality is disordered to think like this. Mm-hmm. And my first reaction is think like this. The more public and vocal you are about it, the, um, the less that becomes a vulnerability. And then the vulnerability becomes like an actual, uh, I don't an attribute. Yeah. Right. When we talk about the mountain, like every avalanche course or backcountry ski course, climbing course, it's always like you need to know what your own, you know, the heuristics that you fall into, what traps you fall into. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we can name all of them. Right. But like vocalize those with your partner. And again, I, I pretty much only backcountry ski with other group guys, Mm -hmm. which is good because, you know, like, for example, um, that unfortunate accident that happened in Mill Creek that killed four, like no one was in the backcountry for like the next week, except for me and my friends. Cause we're like, yeah, we broke down what like happened, how we mitigated it. And like, we know the yeah. South facing is still safe. So we kept skiing and we had it all to ourselves. I don't think I, and I talked to other people on social media, like, Hey, are you going out there? Like, no, we're going to lay low. Cause it's kind of some heavy times, but I'm skiing with a bunch of group guys. We all talk about it. Like, Hey, I think it's still safe because of this. These are my, Mm-hmm. These and are my weaknesses. I, if it's fresh powder, I think everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, <That's> right. <laughs> through the lens of fresh pow. Yeah. But then, but, but my then friends all know that if they know that if it's steep and deep, yeah. like that's where they have to hold Derek back because if yeah. it goes over forty-five, technically we're okay. But then there's also the, like, the other things we have to worry about. But they know that about me, mm-hmm. and so they pull. Like they saved me, like you said. I saved pointed out that vulnerability yeah. and the backcountry. You were honest about it mm-hmm. up front, and the amount of times that they've said you know, there. And then another, you know, guy I ski with and everything, like occasionally he would be like, Oh, well, what about this, this, and this? It's like, okay, you're applying a huge, you know, Utah avalanche center, you know, yeah. um, post to an entire mountain range. This specific slope has been skied X amount of times. It's been down to the bed, blah, 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 blah. So like, that's a way, like sometimes they pull me back, but other times I'm like, Hey, like you're yeah. kind of overthinking it, but like, you're right. Like we do that, but that frustration or not the, the realization I came to the symposium. It's like, I'm on this and I don't want to say elite cause that sounds terrible, but like, that's kind of what came to mind. Like I'm on this elite team with super trained dudes that are motivated. They would literally die for each other. Yet we got done with a blast and not once did we ever sit around and just talk about it. Yeah. Like, we didn't like, we hot washed like, Hey, how did we get hit? How did like, how yeah. did the vehicle, what was our posture? Like, did we rush to the, but there was never like, Hey, this is how I felt about it. Yeah. Like, this is how like fucked up I am. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you go through the immediate piece mm-hmm. afterwards so that the Logistics. next time you go out, that you, you maybe behave differently. Yeah. Like, what was it that made us vulnerable on this on this day? Let's not do that again. Okay, mm-hmm. then a certain amount of time later, it needs to be, um, you know, <laughs> what condition are we all in right now that might be contributing to future vulnerability? Yeah. Not only in this environment, you know, when we're, it's you know it's still deployed but then in the in the situations when we go home where there is you know potential you know there's no threat but we're 
behaving as if. But there was a threat because like part of my PTSD, again, she took a couple, she's like, you have PTSD, just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, accept it. Like she knew she had the report card, but like you have PTSD. Yeah. But like part of that for me was like, I was taking exuberant risk in the mountains because I needed to get that like. Yeah. Balance, super hyper chemical balance yeah whatever yeah. yeah you're right it is it's you're spot on it is chemical balance I like there. that exuberant risk yeah. <laughs> <Exuberant>. <laughs> well, and again like and, and mark if i showed you like the avalanche report from that day mm-hmm. like i knew what it was and i was like it's a single kua i can go up the side of it i need this today yeah. that was the dumbest thing i did that season and then yeah. i when i talked to my ski buddies i downplayed it to them oh it was fine everything and it wasn't until after my again i came to symposium we'll talk and I was like, just let you know, like that day that we talked about that you guys thought I was crazy, like that was total reaction to me not being able to sleep and me being so hyped up from the event that I never processed. Yeah. But like that was thing. So now I'm taking risks that I wouldn't normally take, but also because I'm in a, in a sort of psychological condition that I've not been in when I had these risks available to me. Yeah. And the other risks, like someone like the drinking and like, you know, the the drug use like the unhealthy drug use that could be out there and stuff like because we never hot wash like i don't know the other dudes in my truck like what mm-hmm. you know each one of them and, and like i feel bad that we didn't like pull the team together and like me starting like again i'm the captain so i moral comp like we can say a bunch of different phrases but like if i think i would have shown that vulnerability mm-hmm. there at that moment then we all could have had that like our symposium to where it's like yeah have dudes like hey i was blown up my last trip you know and so walked away from the symposium uh, and this sounds corny, but it's so true. Like I walked away from the symposium completely changed in my mindset. I was like, it's okay to not be okay. And better yet, I need to talk more because my connection with people I never knew yeah. other than the other dude from group mm-hmm. was amazing. And he and I even like, we had worked together. He was on that team that gave me the trucks. Mm-hmm. It was his captain, not him, but okay. he was part of the decision to like, yeah, let's yeah. give Derek the trucks. So like he saved my life literally. But even then he and I didn't have that conversation of what I went through during the blast when he went through on his last trip and how bad he was. And he's like, why? And then that's where we came through. Like, we need to get this out there. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be a doer and I'm not going to just sit back. So yeah. I got back to group and I started telling my story and where I talked to Michael about this at one of the Friday nights was like, um, the first experience was, you know, sitting over dinner, eating steak with a buddy of mine, you know, and I'm like, Hey, telling everybody, like, how are you doing, bro? I'm good. Hey, I just got to let you know, like, just in case, I don't know if you saw me during that time or whatever. I was, I was bad. I didn't realize it. Like my wife noticed it more, but like there were some like things going, like I had to go to therapy. I had to go. I told him about EMDR, everything else. And he like kind of sat there, like choked up and was like, dude, similar trip, got blown up, everything else. Like I thought I was the only one that has ever like had to do this. Like I thought like, cause we're green berets, we're, we're strong, we're tough, we're, you know, whatever the yeah. case may be. And he was like so distraught inside and so like just a melancholy and mm-hmm. sadness inside because he also had to go talk to somebody. His wife told him as well. And he like, it was almost a healing moment that he had like a next step in his therapy. Mm-hmm. He wasn't through everything, you know, from what it sounded like, but that was like the next step for him to be like, it's okay mm-hmm. because I was going through it, but I wouldn't have done that if I didn't come to the symposium. So then, and so that happened like, you know, uh, maybe a month or two after symposium, you know, so it wasn't too long after. Um, and then this last winter, you know, another soldier came up to me and, you know, I, I, at this point I've said my story a few times around a lot of people and it was like, Hey, like, can we link up and do it? Yeah, let's do a workout, whatever. And like, Hey, I tried to kill myself last night. It's like, what? Like, you know, like I thought we were meeting for like an injury or something or like you were curious on how to do better on the new army physical fitness. Like, 
had no idea, but it's only because I opened my mouth and said, hey, like mm-hmm. I wasn't, I recognize, well, no, I didn't recognize, my wife recognized I wasn't okay, but I recognized I needed to keep going through with this EMDR and go through this stuff, you know, and and so we went through like this whole thing that like this this soldier was going through and everything else, and it's like, hey, like, you need to get help, you know? And because yeah. I had said I'd gotten help, I could do that. Cause if one, I don't think if I would have told them, you know, wouldn't have told them that what was going on was there, wouldn't have came to me and said, Hey, I'm doing this. And then I had a leg to stand on when I said, you need to go like killing yourself. Isn't a normal human reaction. Mm-hmm. Like you need to, you know, like it's just, well, let me phrase that. It probably is to some extent, but that's because something's messed up. Right. Like yeah, that's yeah. because something in the chain broke. Yeah. So I had that experience and like, you know, soldier checked in, you know, got some help, you know, and is, is doing great now, like back on. And like, the good thing is like the chain of command, I guess I, I should probably tell this too. If I would have, you know, the messenger matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you, Michael, um, or you, Mark Keegan, um, when you said it's okay to talk about this stuff, it's okay. Like if we really want to talk about fitness, we can't just talk about like what's, you know, the Instagram world fitness, like, Oh, look how Jack that dude is, or, you know, how trim she is or whatever, you know, like, like we really need to look at holistic. It's like, yeah, you're right. So that is where I had a leg to stand on to tell like, you know, this person, you know, obviously like train with them, care deeply about them. Like, Hey, go get help. So then I get help and then I go like, okay, this is going to be another fun day. I went in and told my company commander that I was with in Africa, my next hire. Um, I was like, Hey, I, I went and got help. He's like, good. I'm glad. How are you feeling? I'm like, I'm good. And I was like, that's it. He's like, yeah, I'm glad you got help. Cause we probably want you to do more work down the road. So I'm glad you got help. And I was like, that went better than expected. And then I go to the group commander, <laughs> like his boss, like I'm totally shocked that that's how he responded. Cause I mm-hmm. thought there was such a stigmatism in the military mm-hmm. of like getting help. So then I, you know, so I do actually ski with my group commander. He's like the top. So he, he and I had like an understanding cause we'd all go on a big group and like, he knew me. So when I came back from the symposium, I wanted him to know <laughs> that what you guys are doing here, like that we, you know, maybe contract out or to figure out a way to have you guys come out and like the same kind of workouts and messaging kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the applicability of like what good workouts are, but also like the holistic person, if we want to call it that. Mm-hmm. And the messenger matters. And I told him, I was like, Hey sir, I have talked to, so many shrinks, so many psychs before. And I never once wanted to talk about any issues, any problems. The second, like I'm listening to Michael and Mark and Keegan, these other like athletes that are in the room with me, tell me that I need to like open my mouth and talk about this. That's when it cracked open. And so I kind of told him. And so I was again, apprehensive. Cause like, if I want to take the next level of command, he's probably going to be the one that blesses off on it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, here we go. He's going to know that I was not mentally there after a trip. Yeah. You know, and he was totally cool with it. He was almost like, how do we take what you had there? Obviously, like bringing nonprofit in would be great. But what's like, how can we get this message out quicker? And so like, we need to talk like how within, because he's all of group, right? Like he has three battalions, mm-hmm. countless soldiers, not countless. There's exactly. There's a count. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like a ton, he's like, how, like, how do we, how do we talk to our, you know, senior leaders, junior leaders down to the soldier? Like, how do we let everybody know? this is okay that this actually is something like, because like in the past, yeah, like nobody. And I would say this, even on my team, when we got hit, like I told you the one dude in the back that was like totally fine. I hope he's okay mentally. He and I haven't really had a chance to talk face to face just because he's on the other side of the country doing a Mm -hmm. different job. 
Um, but like on the team, the joke was like, oh yeah, he's a, he's the rock. He's the specimen and everybody else like little soft peens. Cause you know, they, you know, needed physical therapy and not the therapy mm-hmm. part, but like right. my shoulder was jacked and my neck was hurt and I had to go on the six week and he only had to go on like the four week, whatever. <laughs> but even on my team, it was like, even if it was joking and good humor, like still it's at the, at the truth of it. Yeah. And so that was for me really amazing that my immediate hire and then the next level of the chain of command Mm. were extremely open to the fact that I went and got help. And then I told him like, I want to tell people my story that it's okay not to be okay. And I, you know, and we don't have to romanticize combat trauma. Mm -mm. It could be a car accident, could be a training accident. could Mm -hmm. be, maybe it is somebody that's had like, you know, we'll say sexual abuse when they were a child Mm -hmm. or something that's never been worked through. Like if our leaders aren't baseline Mm -hmm. and then they have these experiences like me, we don't know which one we'll send them over and then they won't be as effective leaders. So like, let's start getting like, yeah, if you're dealing with some shit in your past, just go get it taken care of. Nobody gives a shit. Like we give a shit if you don't like, we don't give a shit if you do. I think that should be, no, we do care if you don't care. Yeah. Right. Like uh, this whole, the strangest thing to me is how out of touch of feeling we are because we think of ourselves as thinking animals um you can't think your way out of feeling like at the base it, you all of your mechanisms everything you can say that the world is six thousand years old and it was divinely inspired by a whatever spark it doesn't matter at the root of everything it's feeling like your nervous system is reacting to the sun and that's that's the root of it all right there's this attraction rejection thing and all life is kind of formed out of that and then you know when it complicates itself to the point of self-awareness we start thinking and commenting on that process that's happening and then we try to remove ourselves from the feeling thing um, but you can't ever get away from it and we can trick ourselves into thinking that we don't need to do that because i you know i'm the observer i i don't need to feel that because i can think logically but a lot of this stuff isn't like human beings are not logical, uh, obviously like we're totally. the antithesis of that. And if you don't believe, like try to make a decision without emotion and you can't mm. right? like uh, there's a ton of studies um, that kind of back this up about people that, you know, damage certain parts of the brain or get tumors or do whatever. Um, they try to make a decision. And if you remove the part that processes emotion, there's no decisions that get made. So, at the at the root of everything is emotional quality, right? That uh, what we're talking about is affect, and what neurologists are trying to like combine is like states of consciousness that have to do with dealing with how you process emotions is by definition life itself, and we really need to get you know to the point where we understand the balance of feeling and thinking about feeling, and I think we're so far removed of that because we have structures that tell us what to do and they've worked for X, like we, we use statistics to like make decisions and that's not how human beings make decisions. Yeah. Right. You, if, if you took the statistics of the likelihood that you would be killed, right. It means that logically you went into the military as a bad s- statistic, right? The, the likelihood is not good. You could have done anything else. You could have just, whatever you could have funded your fun adventurism by just getting a job of, on wall street he fucking wanted that truck though i know so <laughs> it was such a lieutenant truck too like it was but like we like know. A black dodge ram <laughs> here's <laughs> here's what you can't do here at the heart of it we know because you're being sold on the idea that is a feeling right 
yeah, yeah, go work on uh, Wall Street on the weekends, fly to the Swiss Alps and do the same. You can't do it because the feeling that comes from the genuine experience is different. So we already know that feeling is the genuine thing. And even even if you try to get away from it, you can't. Our whole culture is built off of a feeling assigned to a certain task or a thing. Um, and then something happens where we try to remove that or like you don't want, we don't want to talk about the uh the caustic side effects of our culture and i think that that's it sucks um there's no way to kind of tell people how to go through it but the first thing to do that always works is just start talking about what's going on like but it happens your... it, that, that and that can happen on an individual level mm-hmm. like you were mm-hmm. saying derek is like oh i was talked to this individual and then i was shared time with this individual and then you t- try and take those experiences and then apply them to the gr- to a group of people and that's where you run into the problem because the group group is collectively collectively decided what the image or the identity of each of its individual members is so if i'm like oh i'm an sf guy well i'm this mm-hmm. and this is how and this is how we behave and so there's this certain manufactured identity that one on one you just like doesn't exist but as a group, it exists, and therefore, in the group setting, it makes it a lot more difficult to behave as individuals. I think, and and this feels like the part to me where there's okay, there's there are certain expectations about things, and those are those will be the the hurdles that you know what you'll have to the barriers that will have to be bypassed at some point um, to to get this kind of work into a group, which is especially effective among between individuals into that group setting is to okay how are we going to you know solve let's see who's going to be the insurgent i guess it's you um uh, that that is going to sort of break down this collective front in order to allow individuals to begin talking so here's some (laughs) i love book ending What we're selecting for is a sensitivity, right? So, yes, you did 55 reps at 225 pounds, but when you get done, instead of stating that the standard is this, how did the standard feel? Oh, I felt like I would never be good enough unless I got 50, and so I went further than that because I hate my father and he'll never respect me. You're like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now that standard makes sense because of how you achieved it like what energy are you putting into how you achieve these things? Are they self-destructive patterns or are they uh, achievement standards? Like, do I, do I want to set a new precedent or am I running away from something? And that that's the, again, the, what you select for, you have to be very careful for. Yeah. And we, we selected for a lot of people that just shut up and put up with a lot of pain. And then you look at the, the backside of it and you go, yeah, this is what repression looks like. Like, this is what repressed emotions looks like. There's no shocker anywhere here. This is, uh, but there is some really easy fixes. And it's not us going around necessarily. It's like inciting one person like you to just go start having conversation and be like, you know what? I feel fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm feeling weird. I'm feeling off. I don't feel like what I did was good or bad or whatever. I'm, you know, and then that opens it up to be like, ah, no shit. And people will genuinely engage you i think um no matter where you're at or you're like you know what i just felt like doing a bunch of blow this weekend you're like why would you want to do that you know it's a bad idea and you're like i don't know 
But if it was out there, if like if we were if if what we were feeling was on the tip of our tongue, it would stop us from making these bad decisions, right? Like it would it would stop us from you know. Um, going down darker roads than are necessary. Like we can or see the road be, is dark. Or we would be able to step back mm-hmm. and look at that rather mm-hmm. than ju- rather than just surf that feeling in mm-hmm. a way. Like if I identify that there's, um, you know, okay, this is happening. I, I crushed the cap. That was probably <laughs> not good for a Wednesday, you know, or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and and to to I'd be, honestly be able to like sit with someone and, and know that yes again it's it's okay not to be okay yeah. and it's even more okay to like crack your you know chest open and go well this is what i am feeling and then have that be you know sort of courageous and open enough to do that you know a couple of times realize that you're you know that because you're one-on-one with another human being or in a group setting where everybody is collectively cracked open mm. and, and decided that that's going to be okay, except for the 10 percenters or whatever. But, um, you know, you're, you're in a situation where there is no negative feedback where you don't get you know, where you don't get held back in your career paths where you're, you're actually, you know, your hires actually like, yeah, well, it's a fucking good deal that, you know, you went and got help because you're going to be more useful now. A hundred percent. And, and we've always seen this, but, They've not been in a position where they can transmit that because of the hierarchical mm-hmm. nature. They can't go to the guys who are getting blown up, who are you know in the situations where the PTSD is eventually you know is eventually being caused, and have those one-on-one conversations with them. So they're just as hampered by you know not only the high you know the the the, the class position you know that they're in because of because of rank and responsibility. Um, so, so they're kind of stuck there. Until the individual like you comes and talks to them and then they go, okay, let's shut the door. We'll sit down and we'll talk because we're two fucking human beings and that's what we do. Yeah. But he's, you know, but, it, but the, but the people in those positions, it, it's almost, I look at it and it's almost gotta be ground up and individual yeah. up for any of this stuff to happen because they are equally handcuffed. Yeah. by the position that they have risen to and the responsibilities that they have there. And, and to think about how patronizing it is to come from, to be like, oh, here's the protocol for the person who got blown up. You're like, you're taking feeling out of it again. Because now yeah. you're saying like, when this happens, this happens. And you're like, no, you're just asking, right? The protocol should just be to ask questions and inquire like, and the open conversation. The, I guess the, the, the standard is just honesty, Right, because yeah. everybody wants to know who's good and who's not. And if I'm not good for a bit, it, I want you, you wouldn't want your team to like rely on you, and then you fall through the cracks. So the honesty is actually the best thing that you can do for your team at some points. Maybe that's why extreme alpinism got you know kind of adopted in a bunch of mm. you know sort of the smaller units in the military as a as something like hey you guys should read this because that's one like that mm. is one of the most important sort of tenets especially in a in a in a in a small team two guys mm. you know or or three but they have to know if you're on an off day. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. like, okay, the responsibilities that you had yesterday, you can't handle today. You better tell me so that we can distribute that, you know, and then, and then your job. If you can't do this, then your job now is you look after us. You know, like, okay, you take care of the admin part so that we can actually keep doing the thing so that we can keep going 
you know, upwards or whichever direction is appropriate. Right. But it is that honesty of saying, of being able to look at your partner, care about, you know, him or her enough to be honest. And so I think there's, there's a, you know, not, it's not in, it's not a selfish act. It really is. Like when you said early on, you know, like, I don't want to let them down. Mm. You know, I don't want to let my people down. This is not, this is, and, and that's the, the unacceptable behavior. Um, and it's a paradigm you know. shift, right? Cause I thought in my mind, <clears throat> letting them down was having this weakness that I need to go take care of. But in all reality, it was the symposium that taught me the paradigm shift is no, actually I'm not letting them down because I'm getting back to baseline mm-hmm. and then I'm letting yes. them know it's okay for you to do the same because we all, we're Be- going to see so much shit. Because I'm, I, I, I went through it and mm-hmm. I accepted that and now I'm back and I don't want to say better than ever, but hey, you know, maybe. <laughs> I've said a few buzzwords. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is, you know, not to toot our own horn about endurance or whatever, but when we're talking about endurance, when we're talking about the act of endurance, we're not talking about the localized event that's, you know, the 24 hour thing, the two hour thing, the one hour, like whatever it is, that doesn't matter. If you can't keep going after it, then you're not, you're not, um, you're not taking into consideration the whole entire event that's going on. If I want to keep doing what I'm doing at whatever meaningful level that is, it means I have to consider where I'm at in the moment. And a lot of endurance is stopping to take care of yourself, right? Self-care will always outperform, um, self-annihilation yeah right so like ah i've got blisters on my feet but i just want to fucking prove somebody wrong we'll never outdo somebody that's like oh, you know i need to thread my feet right now i need to let them cool i need to air them out it's going to cost me 20 minutes you know i'm not going to hit that thing that i said that i would hit i'm going to let some people down but you know what it, i'm going to be late but at least i'll go and then i'll be good after that and I think that's like we lose the long trajectory of endurance whenever we try to it's this tour, it's this deployment, it's this thing. I'm a part of it. And instead, it needs to be like, well, how long do you want to be a part of it? I mean, but I, th- I think that goes th- like you, you, you can't like necessarily address the immediacy of the moment mm-hmm. with that long term view. Right. right, and and to, to and this was the thing, and again, it's well, it's not an extreme alpinism because it didn't come up until a few years later when I figured it out. It's like, look, to, to deal with the immediacy of the moment, I need to uh, have to use a photography reference. Like, I need to zoom in and mm-hmm. you know focus on this this thing and 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 and, and be one hundred percent present and aimed at this particular thing, but also have the reflex zoom. all of the time to, to zoom, zoom to zoom out and and you know and get my ten thousand foot view yeah. and then come back in and to go out and come back in and 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 what the frequency of that zoom in zoom out is you know it's probably I'll say who knows, but it's going to change with each with each situation. But if you just have that, it's the same. It's like running on rough terrain. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, I I I you know I look further down the trail. I take the snapshot. I know what's coming, mm-hmm. and then I'm right back to my feet and you know what I'm about to step onto mm-hmm. right now. Um, and and then I'm looking out and I'm coming back in and I'm looking out and I'm coming back in and that is just this ongoing process that has to be automatic. And uh, um. It, in order to keep moving and at a certain point you don't really you can you just you can keep the long view um you know the further down the trail view because you just memorize what you you know you took the photograph and you fucking refer to it um but i don't think that that's like a a a, a way of approaching things of um that that is taught to become almost habitual for people 
And I, th- I, I think it's true in that exact moment. Yeah, you want to go back to work, but you need to zoom out and go, man, if I go back to work now, I'm unreliable. And therefore, I shouldn't. I should take the time to, you know, deal with my blisters. Mm-hmm. They just happen to be on the inside of my head <laughs> or maybe a little bit on my heart. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and, and in order to be able to come back and be and, and, and become reliable and effective and, and actually be more capable as a human being because of the fact that I took the time to take the care. Totally. When I... I think for how I'm trying to address it, at least at at my level in my unit is I'm trying to do the zoomed in approach Mm -hmm. of if you've got something that's bothering you now, like try to put the zoom out effect of like, because in the long run you are going to be, if I'm, I'm using my motivation of like failing my left and my right is my Mm -hmm. biggest fear. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to maybe manipulates a strong word, but I'm trying to use that as motivation to tell guys to go get help. If you do, like if you're, yeah, if you're, you know, having so many drinks at night just to go to sleep because you're trying to repress something like go get that thing taken care of. Because, you know, if I'm trying, because guess what? I want to, I want you to not let me down. Yeah. Like because, I want to be able to rely on you. Yeah. Cause if we deploy right away, guess what? We probably won't have that much booze like readily available. <laughs> right. So like if you're having alcohol withdrawals, the first three days on our trip or whatever happens, like that's not good. Well, you'll be fun to fuck with, <laughs> <laughs> but you'll be useless. We'll be leaving you at the team house because yeah. we can't trust you. Like you'll be the, the house mouse at the house station. Right. And yeah. so, you know, that's kind of taking that a multifaceted approach of like how I'm trying to message this to people. And I'm totally stealing just like I did with, everything you taught me fitness wise, you know, and everything I learned at the symposium about this, like I'm just taking as much from the non profit symposium. I could have like, just look at it and try And I'm trying to get that paradigm shift. And for some people, maybe it's like, Hey, you shouldn't, if you're having an event that's causing you this behavior and you're not be able to get up in the morning to work out, then you're failing us. Maybe it's the fitness piece that's, that's yeah. missing. Like maybe yeah. it's the, you know, you can't get along with your family. So every time we go on a trip overseas, you've got to redeploy early because your wife's threatening to leave or whatever. So like, you know, wherever that is on the one-on-one basis. And then I think at the unit level, like, so I'm like mid-ranged officer within my unit now. Like mm-hmm. I've got a few trips, you know, I've got a reputation a little bit, but now like, yeah, I'm that, you know, mid-range officer will say that's up in front of a crowd saying, Hey, guess what? My last trip, that was only a couple of years ago. Like I just came off the team, like not that long ago. I needed to get some help afterwards. It was fine. Guess what? I told, you know, the boss, he is fully aware and supportive of it. Cause like you said, that was, man, I tell you like the scared to death that I was going into his office to tell him that yeah. I went and got therapy that I didn't tell the army about that. It's nowhere on any official record, you know, like just wondering what he would do. And the fact that he did take that approach to what you said, like, Oh good. Now, I mean, you were, you, you say wondering what he would do, but you went in with an expectation of what he was going to do. And I think that's the other piece is there needs to be a, you know, a, a, uh, something communicated that like, Hey, this, this is an open door mm-hmm. where I will, you know, address whatever you bring through the door to me in a neutral way. Like mm-hmm. there's not going to be the, you, your expectation about how I'm going to respond has to has to be done away with in a way. So, and it has to be yeah, wrong. Coming back to, you know, one of the first questions about the moment that you realized that it wasn't a physical thing, that it was a psychological thing. Backtrack now and think of all the things that you've hidden and, and promoted as like a physical 
your physical presence and all the things that you've subdued or, or you know, masked, suppressed, suppressed yeah, yeah, something repressed, whatever mm-hmm. the, the, the term is there. Um, and think about other people that you might train with um, or, or, or that you want to rely on in a job or, you know, people you have just relationships with. Imagine all of the people um, that you're dealing with that only think of things as physical. And then imagine all of the people masking all the psychological. And then this like amplifies towards nobody's honest with anybody. But we realize how important the honesty is. The reason why the physical training was so important is because it's a moment of realization where you have to be honest with yourself in order to get better. You have to admit exactly what you're feeling and what you're running away from and how to change it. And that, that's where I think, yeah, it's silly. It's fitness, but not re- it's at the root of kind of like how people problem solve, right? I did, okay, this, this feeling, it got really hard and then I wanted to stop and I don't understand why I want to stop. Am I afraid of pain? Am I afraid of looking bad? Am I afraid of like, for whatever reason, I didn't do the thing that I expected myself to do and I have to confront that. Most people never confront that. And now you create an environment where not only I confront that openly and share with people, here's why I quit. I'm afraid of letting people down and this is why I kind of fell apart during that part when it got hard. I just didn't have it today. And you go, oh shit. And now everybody starts spilling the beans about where they're weak and vulnerable and you start going back and forth. Well, hey, have you tried this? And then you start sharing on how to problem solve these things and that's what gets the momentum forward. The problem is, is usually that happens kind of at some degree in a tight unit or group or whatever. But then when everybody's good, everybody just looks at how good they are. But they don't realize that the root of everything, the foundation of everything that is very elite and very good is in an amount of honesty that would crush most people. Mm. And I think that like the root, um, the, the honesty that like Mark and I share about, you know, whatever ongoings are on the day is kind of shocking maybe for most people because none of it is like yeah we've got ideas but a lot of it is just me sharing my ineptitude i'm just like i just don't feel good enough i'm feeling this i'm not writing well i'm really insecure with what i'm putting out here i feel like i'm i have too much to focus on therefore my work is getting shitty that's literally like you know that's how we're trying to get better is by sharing the things that i'm most insecure about Mm -hmm. like fuck i don't want to be a bad writer right and i'm becoming a bad writer because i'm not focusing on the thing and i don't know how to fix that but and maybe mark doesn't know how to fix it either but if i share that with him he'll know where i'm coming from when he reads my shitty paragraph right and he goes oh yeah, you did say you were writing shitty right now. <laughs> and it at least make him laugh. And then maybe he'd be like, well, maybe this idea. You know, maybe he finds something that I should focus on. or And that's how it That's how it genuinely helps. Like most of me and Aaron walk every single night. We'll walk our dog to the park. And that's like every single, it's like a hot wash for every single day. Man, I didn't get what I thought I would for the day. How can I make it better? How can, like, I didn't get my training in, my hip hurts, my knee. Like, how can I make this stuff? By the time we walk back, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. No one has given any advice, but we feel good with expressing how we felt about the day so that when the new one starts, I can try to live up to what I thought I failed on the previous one. And, and that's like, so there's a, a, a resolution mm-hmm. in a way of the, of the daily events. Mm-hmm. And that allow for the next day to 
to be to be started fresh. Like I'm not carrying it over. A, you sleep, mm-hmm. maybe because you've got this resolve stuff. And sometimes, sometimes. I mean, yeah. I you know I was that was uh, I, I did say maybe, um, uh, but uh, and and then I think that's what has to happen. You know, like start scaling that onto you know to 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 larger and larger or what you know groups like okay here's how it happens on an individual level and then um and i honest you know that's i i think that the walk at the end of the day the you know something like that whatever the equivalent you know the, the team equivalent is is you know that's not bad i mean obviously the more you know people there are you know uh resolving things the longer it takes you have to set aside more time and you know, this is a 30 minute walk or whatever with Lambert and, you know, d- talking. Um, and, and that would be interesting to try and navigate. But just like the, um, you know, h- how do you apply it to bigger and bigger things? But just realize, like, oh, look, they encountered the problems, they confronted the problems. Then at the end of the day, they were, you know, they, they t- talked and resolved about, you know, resolved those events. Okay, box that up. That's that's Monday, and I don't have to be on Wednesday. I'm not fucking thinking about Monday anymore because we took care of that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, maybe there's still ongoing, you know, technical things or whatever that 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 that, that are you know carried forward from Monday. But the emotional sort of relationship to those things was closed out. Yeah, that the baggage, the toll at the end is processed. Right. You just want to know what's the sum at the end of the day. Am I up or am I down? Right. And some days you're a lot of days in a row you're down, but at least I know it. I'm not just like ignoring it till in the end. I go, God, there's a huge fucking debt here that I never now I need to process it all at once. And you're like, why are you freaking out, Derek? You're blowing up at me. You're like, yeah, I got fucking blown up. And I never confronted these things appropriately at the right time when I was feeling them and needing to process them. Or maybe you did. Maybe this is the trajectory. You know, like mm-hmm. there's certain, uh, I don't even, there's blast coordinates, right? For all the different pressures that come out of a detonation. Mm-hmm. And you're like, the aftershock and the effects, like this is, you're laying in this puddle um, and kind of at a really genuine and vulnerable spot to go, I got blown up. Here was the arc and the progress to get me back. Maybe you're not the same because mm-hmm. the person who got, you know, before you got blown up, that person couldn't deal with this, right? They, you weren't a feeling person then. And now you can feel. So no matter how much you feel about yourself, at least you're more sensitive to what you're feeling. And that is, that's something that not a lot of people can say about their trajectory. Yeah. And my wife and I just got back from Hawaii on some vacation. We were in Kauai and, you know, hiking a lot and, you know, little dude was on my back. So she and I had a chance to talk and stuff. And, you know, like we were cruising down, you know, one part of the Nepali coast and, you know, it was one of those questions. I can't remember what responded. I was like, do I need a tune up? You know, like, do you feel like, you know, cause like, again, like random stuff that happens, like I haven't had to, you know, talk to, you know, this counselor in about a year now. But like, it's not just like a one and done. Yeah, like, I, did I relapse? And, yeah, yeah. You know, well, and even whatever. just like the training that I got, like I'm still like trying to, you know, become a better soldier every day, and you know, listen to guys that I train with, and you know, like even for like, it was actually funny when I came back from DC. I kind of like unpacked, like you know, being on the line and have, like, I'm telling you, having like the fireworks like and rocks at the same time. Like that was like it felt like I was back in that space. Yeah. And so she and I kind of like, do you need to talk to somebody about that? 
I was like, no, actually, I, I think I'm okay. Like just talking to you about it because I don't, I'm not living that moment. It's more just like, oh, that was yeah. a fun mark on the wall kind of deal. So, you know, there is that, you know, maintenance piece of it that I think is there that I didn't have before the blast, like you're saying, you know, so it was almost like a... But the sensitivity to ask, yeah, um, did, you know, wasn't there before. Yeah, well, and one of the soldiers that, you know, I've, I've been training, you know, she got in a car accident and like rolled her vehicle and I was like, hey, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm like, are you okay? Remember we talked about this, like I wasn't yeah. okay for a while and it's okay, but I could, you know, I wouldn't have ever done that. I'd be like, oh yeah, you had a car rollover. You're good now? No concussion? Sweet. And I, I would have left it at that, but now I do have that sensitivity you know, and, and I also feel at least in my own way, like, you know, the soldiers, you know, that, you know, was having a rough time and chatting with them. It's like, Hey, like you're, you're, you're not okay, but guess what? Like, it's okay. Well, we're, we're going to yeah. get through this. And I guess you could say like, I'm their champion, you know, because yeah. like, I but you're, you're also want him to be successful and whatever he does from here on out. And I want to let everyone else know that here's about the situation. Like, oh, did you hear he had to go to counseling, you know, whatever, like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, let's not blow this out of proportion. Like having a rough time in life, you know, everything shutting down, like emotions, you know, like relationships are going haywire. Yeah. So soldier went and got some help. Like, let's not hold that against him because if we hold it against him, when we tell him or her, whoever to go get help, they won't because they saw a reaction. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, and what was the whole thing about holding it against someone in the first place? You know, like when they're they're like, oh, you broke your arm. Well, we can put a cast on that and you go to some physical therapy afterwards and we'll get you back healthy again. Well, Hmm. what about the same kind of fucking sensitivity and intervention for the heart and the brain? Well, and so where I I have a little, (laughs) so like big army, like big, huge machine that it is like, you know, I have to detest it at most times in my life. However, like the top dude, the star major of the army, like the lead NCO, like, mm-hmm. you know, on his, on his social media, he's like, you know, it's okay to be okay. But he's also put that analogy and he put it as like, I want you to be stronger lifting something. I tell you to go to the gym. If I want you to be more resilient and get over stuff you've been through, go talk to somebody like it's nice. the same. Yeah. So mm-hmm. at least that's wonderful that like, it's not just lowly, you know, Derek down here at the bottom of the totem pole that, but there the are other milit- people who are, yeah. who, who are seeing it now. What was the carryover like the toughen up and like mm-hmm. fucking choke that shit back. Is that like a legacy I'd, from the greatest generation? I'm just going to call you it know, baby I, boomers, but I think it was to be honest, but I mean like hundred percent, but I think yeah. the other thing that happened with them that didn't happen with our generation is a whole generation left. So they all knew what was going on with each other. So I don't want to say that they didn't need it, but they could at least confide in literally everybody else because everyone of their age and demographic was involved at, in it at that time. Mm-hmm. And at that time, and so, then it's smaller and smaller percentages. So now mm-hmm. it, at least the military side, I'm saying like, but yeah. I think because they could remain rough and tough because they could just drink beers and talk about it and then not tell their family anything. And maybe I'm blowing this way off, but I think, yes, it was from that. And we all want to emulate the greatest. I certainly do like that still to this day, like what they did was amazing. And then even what you like the Vietnam vets, like the situation they were in and like the support and everything, like, holy shit. I'm going to call bullshit on one part. The fact that if they are so good, why didn't they tell us how to feel things and share it appropriately so that we could be better? Like that, that's how you leave, you leave things with total honesty is how you make it better. Here's where we're at in society. This is where it sucks. Here's how you deal with it. You talk to people and that, you know, a lot of theirs is just like, well, you just shut up and you drink your pain a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's tasty. Which is, well, why, it, you know, which is why we, you know, we have a kind of a shitty user manual, which is weird from 200,000 years of fucking human evolution. Yeah. Right. It's like, 
how do we not know how to use this thing that we're in? Mm. When I would say that it's, and I think it's probably only because I'm more acutely aware, maybe it's been Mm -hmm. going on, but you know, like even, was it two, three weeks ago, it was like the mental health awareness kind of, so you saw like, you know, NBA basketball players that were talking about stuff, Mm -hmm. actors, actresses, you know, like the, the people that have way more influence than I ever will, but they were out there saying like, yeah, I, I go through this stuff, you know, and like, I think in our society, we're becoming better, which is only going to make us, I would say, a stronger society. Like there's other things that have definitely weakened the hell out of us. So like at least there's one thing that's coming out that, you know, like, yeah, Yeah. it's okay to, you know, talk about this and go through it. And, you know, you you wonder back in the societies that, you know, we we do look back to, you know, maybe it's back to the, you know, the Spartans or whatever. Like maybe they, those different civilizations actually did have it figured out. And because they were, you know, and then you look at, you know, we'll say like, some of the tribes that we've seen around the world fighting and everything, mm-hmm. maybe they have had those conversations and it is part of their culture. Or maybe it's just something like as we continue to evolve yeah. and like become more aware of what's going on and we can actually like worry about it because the hierarchy of needs. There's this, um, I think it's an old, I can't remember what tribe it was, but it was like a Native American culture. It was that they would require whenever a young man would come back from warring that if he was going to talk about it, he had to go into detail about the tastes and the smell and all of the stuff to like bring everybody back to his senses. And mm. so you're right that like there are cultures that had it figured out. They were like, hey, this is how we get young men to process the things that they had to do, the atrocities that might have had, you know, have served a greater purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, live them, like feel them and mm-hmm. then share them with the people that you use those things in order to protect, bring them into your experience. And that's all... That's that's the only thing that I think uh, if you had to give like one general rule to what it is we do, it's just like, no, we just like want to hear your experience, like share your experience and give me as much detail as possible so that I can kind of like I can imagine what it was like so I can feel what it was like without having all the trauma. Like I want to actually feel your trauma without the actual brain injury and that will help me negotiate what I want to do with my life. And you know, for poorer or worse, man, I missed out on probably some awesome adventures because of that, but that's okay. Cause you came and shared your story. Yeah. I gotta go teach some people some exercise. Damn. Well, before you turn it off, I will say again, thank you for like <laughs> what, what I took, you know, the dude that came and symposium with me from group, what we walked away from the symposium with is why aren't we trying to replicate it? Mm. It is, you know, do the workout, get guys, you know, in that, you know, shared pain, suffering, whatever. Let's do yeah, you share some shared hardship mm-hmm. and then let's share soft ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or, you know, and it's, and it's not just for, you know, the SF guys down the road on a team. Like I feel like, you know, I've, I've talked with, you know, Drew Hardesty, like the Utah Avalanche yeah. Center guy. Like I've chatted with him a few times about like similar stuff. We haven't quite gotten depth just because he's had a busy winter and mm-hmm. a new kid now. But anyway, but it's like, yeah, like if, if we can bring this up like ski patrols, like they respond to crap all the time. Like the UAC guys that have to go like do these avalanche death reports. Like it's not, I feel like even though you're working with high level athletes and super like, again, you've got world-class athletes and average Derek kind of in the room, like. I think it applies to everyone and it's just a, again, thank you for what, cause it, even just the two experiences I had with the soldiers I work with, I hope there's more out there that at least heard me, even if they haven't talked to me and said it's out there. Cause I would have never done it without coming to the symposium and having someone that looks like me, talks like me that sure. I have a lot of respect for the messenger matters. And that 
dude behind the desk telling me like, yeah. oh, how are you feeling? Like, yeah. Do you have a um, handle or someone like if somebody was listening and they're like, Hey, he sounds like somebody could bounce some ideas off of. Do you have some, a contact or a email of some sort or I don't right now. Okay. I'm trying to think of how we would actually, <laughs> do you know what we could do is so people could just email us and, we, yeah, for, and we can forward it to you. I feel bad putting that yeah. on you, but yeah, no, just no, cause no, I didn't no, even I think, think that's about totally that. Fine. But I will say like, yeah, anyone that's out there, like if it's there, like George and I have yeah. actually, you know, we, we were talking about, he would be here yeah. too if possible. Um, but he and I are going to chat about this as well. Perfect. Cause he did a podcast, you know, for yeah, softly yeah. about the PTSD and kind of like, chatted a little bit about it and i told him i was going to come and like yep. to hear my experience from all that so cool well we'll just put it out there like if, yeah, you, we can if be the, people want to get a hold of you yeah, we'll be glad in to be the intermediate yeah. yeah awesome well thank you so much for coming and sharing and doing everything that you do oh, thanks for the space and everything you guys do for sure yeah thank you thank you guys thank you. that was pretty fucking cool